How do you do, everyone? My name is... And this is the Bloody Disgusting Network. The succeeding show will fill you with dread. Have a good time. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. I'm your host for today, Michael Ricky. Don't lose that number, Rothman. And I've got one question for you: What's the worst thing you've ever done? Just kidding. I won't pry, but I will tell you the worst thing that ever happened in Milburn, New York. Never heard of it? It's a snowy small town tucked away in upstate New York, as dreamed by Peter Straub in his 1979 supernatural horror epic ghost story. That's the tale we're dusting off today as part of our ensuing Dance Macabre series that sees us pivoting away from King's canon just for a minute to discuss the works that informed him as he outlined decades ago in his 1981 horror treatise, you guessed it, Dance Macabre. In the past, we've covered Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House, William Golding's Lord of the Flies, and Ray Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way Comes. So we thought, hey, what better time than May? right when the heat is on, hashtag Glenn Frey, to revisit this snowbound story. And ghost story is certainly the iciest of them. But fortunately for me and for you, I have some friends to keep me warm. Joining me by the fire is my own pseudo chowder society, wearing their best evening clothes and ready to get to the bottom of this signature Straub story. From Chicago, Justin, please introduce yourself and share the first time you came across this chilling tale. Hi, this is Justin Clarabelle Gerber. And (laughs) the first time I encountered this fully would have been about three weeks ago. I, I went into this very, very unaware of what it was about. I knew it was by Peter Straub. And that was it. The only real recollection I ever had of this story was the VHS cover of just mm-hmm. the, the black background and I think like the white outline of the house. That is all I knew. I knew Fred Astaire was in the movie. Yeah. I was kind of like, oh, I, th- I thought he had died decades earlier. Happy to be wrong. Um, and so, yeah, I, I never saw the movie. I still haven't seen the movie. So I went in thinking this was just going to be about maybe a, a ghost in a house and there's probably going to be a seance at the end to get rid of it. I had no idea the scope yeah. at all of this book. So that was kind of fun to go through it and figure out where it was going. And my preconceived notions obviously went out, out the window in that regard. It was fun. It's a fun journey. Because so, I feel like so many times we cover books on this pod where we've usually at least seen the movie growing mm-hmm. up, you know. Yeah. But in this case, I had no idea what it was going to be about. So, so you went in cold. Totally to a cold, cold book. Cold yeah. to a cold book. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Like a chilly well, night in Milburn. You know? like, yeah, true, true. Well, grab a sweater. Uh, from Nashville, Jen, say hello and tell us if this was your first time in Milburn. Hey, this is Jen Adams, m- m- name that starts with M, Adams. <laughs> um, and this was not my first time with this book or story, but it was my first time completing it. I, I, I actually rented this as a kid. 
like I think I was probably in middle school and I was like it was Halloween and I wanted us to rent a really scary movie and I was like ghost story it's called ghost story it's got to be ghosty and we put it on and it was like 12 year old girls they're like they're when's it get ghosty they're all really old like it just I was just way too young to, to really um the other one we ended up renting was Jaws and so like my <laughs> understanding of what a Halloween movie ha is yeah. has developed a lot over the years but um and then I believe I started reading this a couple of years ago I started listening to it and I didn't make it very far I think because the beginning I'm not crazy about um but yeah I enjoyed it this time I like the writing a lot like I like his style this was aside from um the king um partnerships this was the first Peter Straub I'd ever read so mm -hmm. I was interested in that I have a lot of thoughts about the book itself but yeah I liked Milburn that was fun yeah yeah wait Justin did you read both because uh, Jen I know you've read both of the Straub collaborations mm. have you read black house that's and the word I was looking for it's it's cool it's cool it's an early <laughs> Sunday morning yeah Sunday it morning. Is. uh <laughs> Like the um, the Maroon Five song, um, Justin. Have you read the the Talisman and Black House also? Oh, you threw me off by mentioning Maroon Five. Yeah, you know, I gotta get back here. I'm, I'm thinking about, no, do, I'll think about no doubt Sunday morning. That's what I'll get. Oh, okay. Here. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, I yeah. Oh yeah, I've read Black House and Talisman, and then okay. I've read Black House in literally decades. But I have, but I read Talisman again a couple of years ago, and it was interesting going through this too, where I still can't quite figure out who wrote what in those books because i feel like at a certain point when you're and i've co-written stuff before you know you'll you'll submit your part but then it'll kind of be rewritten yeah and then you get the next submission you kind of rewrite that too so i feel like it's just a big melding of the minds literally you know you know what it's like words, so. it, it's kind of like the villain at the end of fly too um you know when he becomes oh, kind of like everything the dog one yeah, yeah you know you just can't tell who's the dog and who's the villain um sorry it's exactly what it's like yeah exactly <laughs> uh finally from the coldest setting out there right now i mean i'm telling you, it's snowing austin texas anna shake off that <laughs> snow and tell us when you first read this straub classic and if you've read both uh the king straub collaborations Hi, I'm Anna Marie. Oh, oh, oh my God, AM. <laughs> I cannot believe I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I know. <laughs> uh. I am the Manitou. Uh, <laughs> Sweet. And yeah, we're we, we're experiencing the hottest May ever. I think. Oh my um, God. It's been in high 90s. It's supposed to get into hundreds next week and so just so everybody knows regularly in the hundreds here you know um in this in like july and august may's it's a little soon mm. um i did enjoy having this be set in the in the deep winter uh i have i have the fancy hue lights you know like the the you know those fancy lights yeah and you can set them to flicker like a fire oh wow Ooh. And I, so this is so corny, but last night I said to flicker like a fire and played fireplace noises. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. That sounds uh, awesome. This is, the this is the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was very cozy. It was very cozy. And my, in my, and in, in my bedroom is also kind of cave. Like it holds all the cool from the air conditioning. So it was actually very pleasant, except uh -huh. of course for the story itself, which is pretty scary. It's pretty scary. Um, I have not seen the movie. Um, I knew the book by kind of by reputation. Um, I knew it involved old people telling each other scary stories. Mm 
And I read it on a Kindle and I too was like, oh wait, how long is this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I finished it last night. So um, actually yesterday afternoon, I finished it yesterday afternoon. And so I had some time to think about it. I, I liked it. It's not, it's not quite what I expected, although I'm not sure what I expected. I'm not a huge fan of the collaborations actually. So I guess something can be less than the sum of its parts sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking forward to talking about how his writing is and isn't like King's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because sure. there's some interesting differences for me. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, in general, I liked it. I'm happy. It is my first dance macabre oh, like, episode. Yeah. So, this is a fun looking series. Forward, looking forward yeah. to it. You yeah. You just, I, I did on a Lovstrosities, like, a bunch so it's nice to it's nice to read something <laughs> I, to realize, I, isn't this the same crew that was on firestarter Rekindled? it is it i like is we're going from firestarter Return. rekindled to ghost story yeah it's like it's 180 have you seen the new firestarter yeah we've we we got to watch it yeah yeah that's but the new one i guess that reflects our opinions on it right <laughs> did, did you watch it anna no but i was curious if anyone else did because i i think i might watch it i'm either gonna watch it or ghost story i think tonight like the you know, well. I will say that hot the, or cold. Yeah, it, it's if Thanks. you want to stay yes. cold, <laughs> might be too hot to watch Firestarter. Yeah, yeah, it's a you know, it's a if you want to stay on theme, both ways. I guess outdoors, the the new Firestarter not so hot. It's it's, it's <laughs> it, it puts the heat up a little bit, but not enough. It needs to get a little more explosive. Um, but if yeah, if you want to stay on the cold, it's weird. It's like I guess the Ghost Story movie doesn't really get too cold either um I, that's actually my introduction to the book because uh, i had went to you know universal studios when it first opened in the summer of 91 so it was a hot summer um and i was i dragged my dad to the universal makeup monster show or whatever and even though it was 91 i guess they're still promoting 82 or 81 or 82's ghost story <laughs> that's their that's their featured thing that they're showing how they did it in the movie and i remember there's like the there's like a scene with like the drowning and all and i remember they showed like something to do with the makeup with like the dead body and and my dad turned to me and he was just like that's one of the scariest movies and one of the scariest stories you can't watch that and, wow. and he was and letting my dad, you watch everything he was letting me watch everything like one of my first movies was literally like like i think like beverly hills cop and like raw so like i you know i was just like quoting like the shittiest oh stuff God. ever as a kid so he the fact that he was like no don't watch this i was like oh this must be a big deal and the mm-hmm. poster is really ominous like it's just this black and white uh photo of the house and and the ghost stories looming in the background so for me it was always this thing that like i'd see in the movie store or blockbuster or rental store and i'd always be kind of just like creeped out by it and in terms of the book i it, it's you know it's it's not like King where, you know, you find it on all the bookshelves everywhere. Like it's not like a, mm-hmm. a thing that you see just like always out, especially Straub itself. So it was one of those things that was kind of tucked away from me. And, um, you know, I finally hadn't really, I finally read the book this time for this. I was really excited to, to be able for that, that actually our, our patrons voted for this because we, we threw out four choices on our Patreon for the this next Dance Macabre series. And this one just went immediately. And I think it was probably because of uh, we just had done Black House. So that mm-hmm. makes, sense. Make, makes um, sense. It totally makes sense. But so I, I, I liked it. I, I, found, I found it thrilling. I found it chilling. I found it riveting. Um, I couldn't put it down, as the publishers like us to say. Um, but look, we got a lot to unpack and a lot to discuss. So I think we should, uh, I think we should hit the stacks. This is hot, Ray. Symmetrical book stacking. Just like the Philadelphia Man's Turbulence of 1947. You're right, no 
human being would stack books like this. All right. In the stacks, I'm going to give a little bit of the background of the book, and uh, we'll talk about its influence on King. Uh, let me do a quick run on Straub. So Straub is a Milwaukee guy. He earned an honors BA in English at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in 65, then an MA at Columbia University a year later. He briefly taught English at Milwaukee Country, Milwaukee Country Day, then moved to Dublin, Ireland in 1969 to work on a PhD and to start writing professionally. So he dabbled in poetry before actually moving to novels. Uh, so if you want to look at some of that, there's 1971's My Life in Pictures, 1972's Ishmael, and 1972's Open Air that you can find if you want to go pursue his poetry. But before he even went into the horror genre, he actually tried his hand with two literary works in 1973's Marriages and 1974's Under Venus. Uh, but then, as King states in Dance Macabre, Straub managed to catch this horror, this like horror literary wave that had kind of already been subsiding in the wake of like Ira Levin's uh, Rosemary's Baby, which came out in 1967, William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist that came out in 1971, and then Tom Tyron's The Other, which came out also in 1971. I had a question though. Um, I'm something of a plebe because the only things I've seen of these works are the adaptations. Has anyone read these books like Rosemary's Baby, Exorcist, The Other? Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah, I yeah, I read. I tried to read the other. I got about halfway through twice, and it's just really hard to read that book and pretend that I haven't watched like thirty years of movies with the same twist. You know, yeah, um, it's well written, but it's but the other two I think have superseded their times in a way that I don't think the other quite did. Yeah. Well, I love uh, Rosemary's Baby and Exorcist. The other was also made into a movie, I believe. Yeah, it I was. think the movie's to be on a while. I, 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 can't, I can't ask if it's the movie I'm thinking of because it will literally spoil the movie for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Rosemary's Baby, I, I think the book is excellent. And mm -hmm. that adaptation is one of the most faithful adaptations I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. But and usually that works against it, but I think it works in its favor. I think it, they're both excellent in their own right. So, mm -hmm. so I've and seen then Exorcist those. is much more of a... Because William Peter Bly is obsessed with religion, so it's even more about um religion mm -hmm. and whatnot mm -hmm. but it's also just as graphic as the movie is i mean yeah you know, that's the yeah william Friedkin didn't add things to the movie in, in terms of the uh the, the violence and and the language and whatnot but, is the yeah. is the book darker though because i feel like i mean the movie's pretty dark but i feel like the the, the book the book it's just much more, more the, the theology of it all and uh mm -hmm. okay yeah, i feel like it's not necessarily darker it's just more it's okay. more, yeah. It's really great, though. And, and it is. It's really good. As much as the movie's great, it's. I highly, I would highly recommend both <laughs> Rosemary's hey. Baby and Exorcist to read if you haven't already, and then read uh, Legion by William Peter Blatty. Which you love yeah, Legion. Yeah. I know that's yeah. your favorite, right? I oh yeah. Oh, Anna, go um, for it. No, I was gonna say I haven't read any of them, but mm. I'm looking forward to maybe doing them for this series. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Rosemary's awesome. Baby was one of the choices. Mm -hmm. And um, I, the movie you know. is I've probably the only reason I've I've hesitated to read the books is because like with Rosemary's Baby, I've seen that movie probably a dozen times. You know, like mm -hmm. it's an, one of my all-time faves. And The Exorcist I've probably seen you know a few times and I know that they're both pretty faithful adaptations, but yeah. Justin, you've kind of sold me on on going back yeah. to read them cuz I I definitely more interested in theology now than I was when I was. Oh, and it really does go into going that through a, a phase it's pretty, with that. So they really do lean into the whole, especially at the beginning. Is she possessed, or is this something mm -hmm. also going on psychological? Psychological theology. It's just really fascinating mm -hmm. read. 
really is. Yeah, there's more at the conclusion, too. I think, like, the conversation, like, to make us fear or to make us despair, like, I feel like there's more of that, which I yeah. really enjoy. Well, we will get to them eventually, because I imagine, I mean, those are the, you know, as King literally says in his Dance Macabre section about Ghost Story, he talks about how this wave really was influential just because it, it was, it was you know, kind of taking horror to the highbrow in a way, you know, like definitely literary critics were all about it. It became a national sensation. Publishers were all about it. And, you know, what happens in America? What's the American way? We like to sell it, sell it, sell it and boil it down until it becomes fucking soup. <laughs> and that's kind of what happened to this wave. And, um, you know, there's a bunch of knockoffs that were, you know, eroding it, but there were some great silver linings, you know, it had some really iconic works that happened there too. I mean, King came through at this time and ran, ran, managed to ride this wave, you know, with Carrie and Salem's Lot, but uh, so did Straub. And his next two novels, both ghost stories, one was an English ghost story in 1975 called Julia. And then in 1977, there's a Revenant tale uh, called You Can See Me Now, Anyone ever read these books? Jen, did you ever read uh, Julia or You Could See Me Now? No, but I'm no. curious about it. Right? Is Julia, yeah. well, I'm thinking of here, no. I thought it was the the um, Jane Fonda movie, but that's a different Julia. <laughs> that's yeah. very different. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking now, American Holocaust drama. Probably oh, not the same. Probably uh, not the same. Very different. You know, it's a very different movie. <laughs> hey, Straub was, you know, Straub was living in Europe, so he could have been like, you know, maybe I'll do a <laughs> World War II horror story or something like that. Um, anyway, both of those stories, there's a reason why none of us have read them is because they've pretty much been overshadowed by the third horror story that he wrote, which is what we're going to be talking about today, Ghost Story. Um, I got a quote from Straub on the making of this book, and I think it's important to read. There's there's a few quotes I'm going to keep reading on, so apologies if you had to hear my uh, my dirge of a voice. Um, Straub on the book says, "I go five years in, it's like oh apologies, yeah, uh, apologies for uh, listening to my fucking bullshit <laughs> voice. Hundreds you know? upon hundreds. You know, of hours. you can always give it to so you could you could give someone else a chance to read it. Like that if you're really that self conscious. I know. I well, hey, you know, I'll just read it in, in an Irish slash." Wisconsin accent. <laughs> go for it. Go, go for it. Yeah. No, no oh. absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like well, the idea of just occasionally reading excerpts. Just one of the orifices. <laughs> of a black just like lies beneath us. You sound like the townspeople like season the witch. Like, oh, Mr. Cochran's uh, here. Um, that was literally a trying to do the Wisconsin slash Irish lint. Yeah. Yeah. Jen, do you, you have the quote, right? Do you want to read it? Yep. Yeah, I'll read it. Um, okay. I, maybe I'll just use my own accent. Oh, go for it. <laughs> um, Nashville. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, which I still like pretend that I don't have one, but yeah, I do. Anyways. Um, okay. Ghost Story started as a result of my having just read all the American supernatural fiction I could read. I reread Hawthorne and James and went out and got all of Lovecraft and a lot of books by his set. This was because I wanted to find out what my tradition was since I was by then pretty firmly in the field. I also read Bierce. Edith Wharton's ghost stories and a lot of Europeans. That's a really wide swath. I know it's a wide swath. Europeans could be so many people. (laughs) But then he talks about the conceit of the story. Justin, do you have that quote uh, up? I do. I'll just read it with my own. It's a long one, so you know, (laughs) fair warning. Um, There we go. Oh, I'm seeing here. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. The the first thing I thought of was having a bunch of old men tell stories to each other, and then I hoped I could think of some device that would link all the stories. I very much like the idea of stories set down in novels. A lot of my life seems to have been spent listening to older people tell me stories about their families, their youth, all the rest. And it seemed like a formal challenge. After that, I thought of cannibalizing certain old classic stories and plugging them into the Chatter Society. 
This idea excited me. It seemed very audacious, and I thought that was very good. So I went ahead after I got to the point in the book and wrote junked up versions of my kinsman, Major Molyneux. I think I pronounced that right. Yeah. The Turn of the Screw, made famous by Mike Flanagan, and started on the fall of the House of Usher. <laughs> and started on the fall of the House of Usher, soon to be soon made famous be by made Mike Flanagan. Yeah. But by then, the lead-in threatened to become the whole book. So I dropped the post story. I was thinking at the time the Chowder Society would follow these with their own stories. Lewis's monologue about the death of his own wife. Sears and Ricky spitting a monologue about the death of Ava Galley. So there you go. And then he kind of cites Salem's Lot as this elixir of sorts. Uh, and I have one, long, one more long quote. I'll, I'll take this one real quick. Um, I really wanted to expand things much more than I ever had before. I wanted to work on a large canvas. Salem's Lot showed me how to do this without getting lost among a lot of minor characters. Besides the large canvas, I also wanted a certain largeness effect. I had been imbued with the notion that horror stories are best when they are ambiguous and low-key and restrained. Reading Salem's Lot, I realized the idea was self-defeating. Horror mm. stories were best when they were big and gaudy, when the natural operative quality in them was let loose. So part of the expansion was an expansion of effects. I wanted to work up to the big climaxes to create more tension than I ever had, build in bigger scares. What all this means is that my ambition was geared up very high. Very much on my mind was doing something which would be very literary and at the same time take on every ghost situation I could think of. So... There's a lot of ambition tied to this book. <laughs> I think yeah. uh, I think we could say that as much. Um, I'm interested to kind of hear your takes on whether he pulled it off because King King thinks he did. Um, I mean, in Dance of Cobb, he calls Ghost Story probably the best of the supernatural novels to be published, uh, at least in the 70s. He says, at first glance, it's an extravagant mishmash of every horror and gothic convention, yarn and bee pictures, and that, quote, it shouldn't work. It should be overt and cute, but Straub's firm prose makes it work. So clearly, King believes Straub was successful in this experiment. What do you all think? Do you, do you agree? Do you think that this audacity manages to, you know, come to fruition on the paper? Jen, <laughs> I'm going to throw it to you real quick. <laughs> yeah, I think I mostly do. I think I, I mentioned I don't love the intro. Um, and I think like the experience of reading it, I don't like, but I like the payoff of it. And I like the framing device and I just am really fascinated by stories and like sitting around and being told stories so mm. yeah I do it does I, I will be honest like I had a little bit of trouble keeping some of the characters straight at times and like remembering what timeline I was in like it took me a while to realize that one of the characters was not one of the old men you know mm. and um so in that regard maybe not but I also was listening to it and sometimes that is you know, yeah. you know. I, I was thinking about that with you listening i was like how the hell is she gonna keep up this tabs with all the because i was flipping back and forth yeah i had um, to flip back i couldn't i oh my god an audiobook would have been my own ghost story <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, it reminded me of catch 22 because i had a i, I mean i love that book but I, I had to you know i'm glad that they have an index in the beginning mm -hmm. of that book where you can at least get all the characters um yeah i i, I don't know i i can't even imagine with audio um <laughs> Anna, what, what what do you think about this? Do you think that the the the, uh, the audaciousness pays off here, do you, or do you think that it's it's he kind of bit off more than you can chew? I think there's some flab. Yeah. Um, whereas I actually think it's funny because Salem's Lot's actually pretty slim, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. I think maybe something he didn't pick up from Salem's Lot is that you don't have to be long to be expansive. 
mm-hmm. you know um i think salem's lots is so much better book uh <laughs> hard because like when we do take t- tours into the town in salem's lot i mean they're very efficient you know like you get these like snapshots mm-hmm. and i think straub has a tough time keeping things to a snapshot mm-hmm. sure. uh and then also i think my feeling is like he's in love with his characters a little bit more than I was. I mean, and I want to say I liked this book. Like mm-hmm. I found it scary. I, I thought it was interesting. Um, I also think it's much more dated than Stephen King stuff. Even though King gets shit on all the time for having all these contemporary references in his books, you know, mm-hmm. but in this, this, it didn't feel, this didn't necessarily feel dated because of the references it's maybe just because they're old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it felt dated because of the theme of it. And whereas the, King, yeah, I feel the, like his themes are more evergreen, you know? Yeah. The theme of it was, 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 and then also sort of the very gendered <laughs> kind of way he dealt with the theme kind of doesn't feel it, it for, again, for all of Stephen yep. King's problems, like, I think he was actually kind of ahead of the curve on some of the ways that he portrayed women. Like I agree. We've, I, we have discussed the problems that, that mm-hmm. exist with him, but they're much fuller characters. Yes. And I feel like Straub is so fascinated with the male characters, mm-hmm. but even his female villain, he doesn't share the same level of fascination with her. He's really focused on how the men react to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found yep. my favorite part of the dealing with the AM character yeah. was actually Alma, the, the, the young woman that he meets in Berkeley, mm-hmm. yep, that same. Don meets in Berkeley. She's actually pretty well drawn. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know? yeah. And I comp- that was like probably my, one of my favorite parts of the book. Same. If anyone's ever been through a whirlwind romance, like if it really you, captures like, that, yeah, it yeah. does. Like in this idea yeah. of like you're like you're like hot for each other constantly, and like yeah. it's just so exciting, and you're in love with everything about them. And then, yeah, like that idea that just kind of suddenly you're like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or it just derails your college semester, or it just derails, and also the <laughs> idea that it, it can put completely derailing his life but yeah also that way that you can fall very quickly out of love when you have one of uh-huh. those oh 100 yeah yeah like too fast that, seeks, you know that's just what it is like almost yeah. like this weird i guess guilt's not the right word for it but almost like re- regret towards it where you're almost like man what was i thinking like getting into this whole like maelstrom of emotions and now i'm sitting here like what did i gain from it like and who is like, and who and actually the the part of it that's really done it, it really is true to life and true to the story is who is this yes uh-huh. yep yeah yeah who have Which, i fallen in love with that will be it's evergreen that's evergreen yeah and i, I think in this day and age too where we are um ghosted a lot of times you know uh, <laughs> hey. which is you know how hey, long were you holding on to that did you I, I, that? I i was reading the, the book notes. and i said i gotta bring this in there uh, it's not in the notes though it's all it's it was all up in here in the in the mind uh just that's where the term came from i think so yeah <laughs> that's yeah right they're like you know the um you know the head of tiktok or i don't know instagram was right. just like you know you know this i'm a really big fan of 1979's ghost story mm-hmm. um justin i i wanted to throw this to you because i know you're a huge radiohead fan i was thinking of this book is kind of almost like the kid a of the horror genre because i feel cool. like it's this 
huge scrapbook, exactly what Straub wanted to do and like bringing in all these tropes, bringing in all these types of ghost stories. And then also like bringing in the mediums of ghost stories, not mediums as in like the, you know, the seances, but medium as in like the way that they're delivered, you know, there's oral tradition here. There's, you know, um, there's written, there's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, metrics being, you know, thrown around here. And it just reminded me of just kind of how Radiohead is able to take all the different genres in that album and just treat it like jazz and just kind of yeah, put it's it not, almost it's like not a poppy veneer. Guitar, bass, and drum anymore. It's yeah. Just, um, everything <laughs> and it else has been added to it. Yeah. I got but you. also with Kid A. And it like, feels really know. out of date 10 years later. Is that? <laughs> oh, whoa. Shots fired. <laughs> never. I, I will never. I will not. No. <laughs> but what do you. Microphone shuts off. I'm out of here. <laughs> right. I can't but handle we, this. I, I throw it to you because we just finished the Scream series for over Halloween. And I, and yeah. I can't help but think of this almost being in similar uh, discussions, at least in the same ballpark of just the way that it handles and grapples with the genre and trying to do something with like commenting on it. What were your thoughts on Straub handling this? Be- well, I think I was definitely nervous at first because again, this is the first solo Straub, hashtag solo Straub I had, uh, <laughs> I had read. What is it so like I a like Star it, Wars solo? Solo yeah. Straub story. <laughs> solo Straub story. A, uh, a ghost totally solo, a, a ghost story, as it were. I mean, ah. uh, a solo story. I'll, see, I'll see my way out the window oh my to, my, to my death. So I feel like if this book had been written by King, I would have been a little more comfortable the way it starts structure-wise because it starts off, we don't know if this is in the past or the future. Mm-hmm. And then the book then picks up. We, again, still don't know where we are exactly. Some of the chapters have titles and some don't. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of back and forth in italics to what's the worst thing you've ever done. So it, it was... It had the potential for me to be a total disaster. But as I got more familiar with Straub and the storytelling technique, it did for me, by the end, all coalesce. I, I, was, mm-hmm. I was able to make sense of it to the point where I feel like if I went back and reread it, it would totally make sense to me. And it didn't feel like there were a lot of things left loose that weren't meant to be hanging loose, I guess. And, um, mm-hmm. and in regards to the, the mashup of everything else, I'm happy. I would not read that quote. But it definitely checks out because you've got mm-hmm. like the Manitou shape shifting, um, literal ghosts, <laughs> apparitions, yeah. werewolves, oh, kind of like yeah. a. We'll talk about the King connections for later on, but like kind of like the it, mm-hmm. the it of it all, honestly. Yeah, mm-hmm. seriously. And uh, but for me, it was just such a fun roller coaster ride. I, I just, I think by the back half, especially once things were really settled, where I really knew where everybody was, where we were. And it was just kind of allowed to become the horror show. That's when it really, to me, you know, took me home, I guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. So it worked yeah. for me, ultimately. It worked for me. It's, it's, it paid off, I guess. Is the best. I just wish we'd gotten there a little quicker. I, I, see, I, that, yeah. I see that criticism, too, though. I do. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 There, there are definitely swerves and sections in here. I'm like, all right, we won't. Maybe we could cut out one party. Like we yeah, even, even feel like, yeah, we'll talk about that in our other section. But yeah, I, I, I want to talk about so. the first parties a lot. Like, it was interesting. Yeah, right. There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack and and swinging everywhere. Yeah, right. You know, I just if only Ang Lee could go and direct a a new adaptation of this. (laughs) The ice story. It would have to be a period piece, honestly. It would like the best adaptation of this would be something that was real specific Mm -hmm. to that exact time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Jen, what do you think about the greatest hits of horror here? (laughs) Like that's we're gonna call it that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just imagining Tom Petty's greatest hits album, but with like Straub sitting there blurred and all. (laughs) 
Um, I was reading that quote and I I can totally see it in the work too. And I really appreciate kind of that approach from authors. And it reminds me a lot of like what King says in on writing. Like if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write and just like being familiar with your genre, you know? So when you are doing something similar to another writer, you're intentional about it and you Mm -hmm. know that, you know, so I, I, I thought that was interesting. And I also now maybe would kind of, I don't know if I'm ready to quite reread this today, but like fire that through and start yeah, right. looking, <laughs> right, looking for more re- like references. Cause I saw a couple of them, but you know, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause in, in lesser hands, it could fall apart very fast, yeah. you know? And I think a lot of it has to do with just the, the structure that he's able to put on it. I mean, I, I want to kind of read this one quote. I'm sorry. I have one. It's one last quote. It's one no, last quote. Um, I, I, and it talks about the mechanics of, of the, the, you know, the larger conceit of where he's at and how he was able to find the structure to be able to tell it. Um, he said, you know, I wanted to play around with reality to make the characters confused about what was actually real. So I built in situations in which they are one acting out roles in a book two, watching a film three hallucinating four, dreaming five, transported into a private fantasy and this kind of thing i think is what our kind of book can do very well what is naturally suited to do um the material is sort of naturally absurd and unbelievable and therefore suits a narrative in which the characters are bound are bounced around a whole set of situations some of which they know rationally to be false and it seemed fitting to me that this kind of plot would emerge from a group of men telling stories it was self-referring self-referential which always pleases me very deeply in novels if structure has a relationship to the events the book has more resonance and i kind of want to focus on that last line if structure has a relationship to the events the book has more you know resonance do we agree with this sentiment and do you think that's largely why he's able to pull this off anna what what are your thoughts on that um i see it now i guess maybe i read too fast or wasn't thinking as deeply as i should have been the way that the meta textual nature yeah. of the book. I think it's interesting, he, you know, he rattles off those different ways of experiencing reality, I guess would be the way to describe them. And I'm not sure if they're highly differentiated. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I think the hallucination scenes are actually some of the better ones in the book. Like it, it, yeah. it takes a second, like to kind of, catch up with this with the transitions but those actually seem more dreamlike to me because i mean i think it's pretty typical that like don't about y'all but like my dreams tend to be more like that than like one coherent narrative which mm-hmm. is what <laughs> the dreams in the book are described as like this happened then this happened then this happened mm-hmm. whereas those hallucinations are you know seamlessly going from kind of one memory to another which it first was hard for me to kind of, you know, grok. Uh, <laughs> and then, then it got a little easier. And then as far as like the other kinds of experiencing reality, like the, I don't know if watching a movie is really, I don't know if you can really say anything in a book that makes you feel more like, I don't, I don't know, like that. Yeah. They watch a couple of movies or they watch one movie in particular. Yeah. And they listen to audio tape, but I feel like that's a book, that's a narrative description of what it's <laughs> watching a movie and listening to an audio tape. I mean, I think that like what King might've done in those situations is just do a transcript, which I think mm. actually could have been helpful yeah. 
That's interesting. interesting for the for the tape portions. Yeah. And I was surprised they didn't do more with the tapes. Like it's because it's this huge like Chekhov's tape collection. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh, we're gonna get to hear all the like nope, just like snippets. <laughs> and they don't really do it till the very end, right? No. Nope. Like the, nope. The, the, nope. The climax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do think this book could benefit from some more meeting notes because you know that's oh, oh Lord. <laughs> yeah. Photographic memory of I remember how this went. Exactly down. what happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he gestured at this point. Yeah. Well, that is Love an interesting you, point about the, the the materials, though, because if he's pulling from, it, clearly he pulls from Salem's lot more than anything in King's work here, which is much more pastiche. Like, yeah, it is. Yeah. it totally yeah. is. And but if I do think it would benefit if he would have pulled more from Carrie in terms of just the loose materials mm -hmm. there. I didn't think about that. Like if you were able to kind of go into like a folder, or, you know, not a folder, but like a file note or. Um, you know, maybe it was one of the the passages from Don's story or something. I was gonna like say because right there, like they kind of do it with the diaries, the yeah, diary mm -hmm. excerpts. And, but, and yeah, I, like would have been interesting to just give us the novel. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's another weird thing that like he retells his personal version. But right. what about it made them want to invite him? I agree. Like, yeah. well, I, agree. That's I, I don't really have an idea of it. I like. Mean, yeah, uh, like us understanding, like us being in their shoes and experiencing the different metatextual elements and us hearing their descriptions of how they experience it. Mm -hmm. and I've been thinking about Archive 81 recently because I'm considering maybe writing something about it and just oh, the way that it. it's good. And I won't spoil anything. It's on just the way It is yeah. on Netflix. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it's also a podcast, which I haven't listened to yet. But just the way that the different like ways of like creating video and like sharing and like the relationship that builds with the narrator and the viewer and I think that could have been a really a maybe stronger way and King like does just kind of throw in a, a transcript every once in a while you know which I now I think maybe appreciate a little more yeah I mean it, it, it's interesting too because like you know it, it, it does feel like he's kind of just peppering things here and there it doesn't seem too it's not distracting to me. Like mm -hmm. I think on paper, when I read those quotes from him, it feels like if I was reading that from a, an author that I hadn't read the book for it before, I'd be like, oh God, this is gonna be insufferable. <laughs> it's just like a million distracting references. And it would honestly be a lot like the movies today where it's just mm -hmm. like, oh, we have all the IP. Let's just go and throw out references here and there. Oh, remember this, remember, remember that. And it doesn't really feel that way to me. Like even at the end of the book, when Night of the Living Dead's playing, which I, I kind of laugh because I one of my big uh, complaints these days is how like every horror movie that's modern today to because it's public domain, they just always put Night of the Living Dead in there because it's, mm. you know, it's free. They can do it. So when I, when they was like, oh, we're showing Night of the Living Dead here, I was like, what is this like public domain <laughs> on the fucking print now at this point? Mm. Like you're just going to play everything. But it added so much to that because it's such an iconic feature. And it's also such an influential part of where horror was at that point um, that it, it, it did add a little bit, it, it added flavor, it added atmosphere. And in, in a way it didn't seem so cheeky. Like Anna, you mentioned the references with King and sometimes I feel like in the seventies he's a little bit better at it. Nowadays, not so much when he's like, you know, in the, in, the Institute, he's like, you know, he's like, oh, that Rihanna song is dope. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. Um, but but <laughs> it's, young you know, but well, it's, it's, it's not, yeah. yeah, the references here really are about like, make note of the forties and fifties Hollywood. Yeah, no, yeah, it's not. Yeah, so, and that's why yeah. like you would have to make it a period piece, yeah, I yeah. think, because mm -hmm. because in order for all the dates to work, you know, yeah. um, I think I just laugh a little bit about the contemporary reference of Night of the Living Dead, because like the race in this book is also sort of invisible, right? Like, mm -hmm. yep. and whereas like Night of the Living Dead, the hero is about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, that's a, that's actually a good <laughs> you know, springboard. To some degree about white supremacy, right? So like, oh, totally, mm-hmm. totally. And and honestly, in a way, that's a, that's a perfect segue to this. The, the, one of the, the last questions for this this section, I feel like that's going to be a little bit broader, is that there's so much in this book. <laughs> Like there's so much and you could take out a lot of it and you could run away with like what this book is ultimately about. And I think honestly, you could make an argument that it's exactly what you were just saying with the Night of the Living Dead too, with, uh, especially with regards to how they talk about the hollow and all that, and, you know, and, and with regards to, um, you know, Dr. Rabbitfoot um, and what that, rep- you know, the, what that means. Um, you mean it's sort of, it's about white supremacy and then it has white supremacy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't so think thing. Dr. Rabbitfoot's making the Mike Flanagan adaptation. I don't think it is, but so, it is a minstrel outfit too. Like, no yeah, this is not going to happen. Like, this is not going to happen. Keep, keep um, a Baron Samedi over here. Let's keep it. Yeah, uh, that's what along. I kept thinking too. Um, so, what what is this book to you, though? What do you what themes spoke the loudest? Because there's a there's a lot here, and I feel like each of us is probably going to walk away with something different here. Anna, you were just talking about it, so I wanted to hear your thoughts on like what you really think. This, what are the, the what, what do you take away from this? My headphones are dying. Oh no! Okay, <laughs> well, then, I'll, I'll, somebody else can jump, go first. <laughs> Jen, you jump in. Um, okay, well, I think I'm kind of. There are two big themes that kind of scream out to me, and very just kind of filtered through the lens of how I tend to, you know, into interpret stuff. Um, there's one like the power of stories, which I think is really fascinating. And like, I think part of the reason I maybe don't have as many notes on this book is because his style is very like soothing and lulling to me, you know, mm-hmm. like as much as I just like kind of, I feel like I complained about a little bit of of some of it, like his writing style is great and I really enjoyed it. Um, and I think there is a soothing quality to telling stories from that time period uh, Mr. Rabbitfoot aside. Um, and so I really like that. I like the idea of interpreting events from your life through a story that may not necessarily be true. Kind of like the things they carried. Um, yeah. Like it doesn't have to be true to be true, you know? Mm. So that's the the theme that I like. But um, the theme that I don't care for is, I'm going to oversimplify, but it feels like one of the themes is women bad, um, which, you know, that's hmm. the part that I think feels a little bit dated. And I've got some competing thoughts about that that maybe to talk about later. But but the stories part is good. Yeah, because every one of his uh, King notes about this in the, the Dance Macabre section that each one of his uh, ghosts in his stories are traditionally female. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has is in a large. I mean, look, I haven't, I haven't read his other books, so I'm not even going to really comment on it. So shut the fuck mm-hmm. up, Mike. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to stop myself because I'm, well, like, I'm not going to make an assumption. Be like, well, actually, he made him female because it, I've only read one of the books. Like, what, I have no, I have no ground here. Right. So I'm, it's I'm gonna... titled Julia. So yeah. yeah, right. You know, uh, Justin, what did you take away? What's your, what, what do you think is ultimately? I mean, I think here? a lot of what Jen was saying, hundreds of degrees. There's so much that's being said here in various some successful ways and some unsuccessful ways i guess but there was a almost a throwaway line that that stuck with me earlier on it's when don's telling his story about how he was te- when he was teaching at was it berkeley i can't remember what school yeah. it was. and there's a moment in, in the class when one of his students say ask him how do you define man and he responds sexual and imperfect and then they kind of just mm-hmm. move on but when i thought about the rest of the book I, I, that just kind of stuck with me, that theme of sexual and imperfect. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. the, especially with the big, we find out what happened with AM and the Shower Society when they were younger and that 
this weird like repression kind of going on and and the faults yeah i don't know there was a lot of that that just kept swimming with my in my mind and there was a lot of little drops that straw was throwing in there that didn't seem big at the time but then when you would go back and i guess like us if we were taking like copious notes it's easy to go back right Mm. but um that kind of i was like oh he was kind of laying down some some themes here too before moving on to the the big showy you know who is am and all of that that was going on during that part that portion of the story so that's yeah, what really stuck out to me you 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 your buzzword right there is me for me is <laughs> repercussion or is a is 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 basically um repression yeah i i i think it's just boiling under yeah. this whole book and also just tied with just the the kind of death of the small town the same way that salem's lot is as well but um i i digress anna Finally. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I'm like, come on. Me, 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 me. Yeah, go, go for it. <laughs> headphones are working. <laughs> like, yeah, the headphones are working now. Um, I would add to the repression kind of um, part of it, the idea of a succubus, you mm-hmm. know? Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also think it's interesting because this is the original sin of this book supposed to be the Eva Galley thing because well, I don't that- actually... Is it? Because I don't actually buy it. It's as not. Like... No, she has been around before that. Yeah. That was not the. Okay. She wasn't human and then she became it. Because that that's what the movie means. Well, then, well, yeah. And then also, then why AM after that? I know. It's, oh, it's, well, like, I missed that. I did miss that it's part. For of it. morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I don't. I had a hard time with that part. And if she's like, if she, yes, I got that she is an internal yeah. being. However, like, these men were picked out because they refused to have sex with her that one time. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. I yeah. get that. But that seems like that's the, because if you think about it, that's actually the sin there. It's not her death. It's that they refused to have sex with her mm-hmm. because her death, I think it's way it's described as like, yeah, they could have gone to the police. It would have been accident. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Also, like four white guys, especially like in four white, four white guys in New York. That's in New York, three of them wealthy. Mm-hmm. I think they would have gotten away with it. No yeah. problem. So, yeah. It, it occurred to me that it's not her death that's the problem. It's the refusing to have sex. But then also, then why go after Don? I guess because he is he the closest relative. Well, yeah, he's related, yeah. and they, they're yeah, trying just, to sit the uh, That's I wanted to I wanted to I, would, I, have more, I have a little more to say about the theme. But so. but I but right on that, the, the, do, I want to ask you this question: Do you okay. think Straub pulls his punches in making it so that she does she has existed forever, and that this isn't just some ventral soul from that? situation and that it actually is that sin that they killed her i i kind of wish that there had been a bigger sin like Mm -hmm. yeah it doesn't again it doesn't quite scan for me that like that is the thing that she's taking revenge for because it Mm -hmm. it, again i don't think the death is enough for her to go after them in the way that she did it would have to be the refusing to have sex with her I almost think she shouldn't have died. Like it would have been made more sense to me because it's a little confused. Like mm-hmm. again, the whole, the vengeful spirit part of it. And then the other thing I wanted to say as far as yeah, the go themes go is y'all noticed all the quotes from Narcissus, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and I was trying to kind of like, hmm, you know, what's going on here. And is, I do think that, you know, conceit, right? Ego is mm-hmm. like the, 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 that's the real sin, whether or not, I guess Straub is sort of conscious of it, but it's a lot more subtle than repression is the self-involvement of all these men. Yes. Yeah. Like the degree to which that they make themselves over and over and over and are allowed to do that because of their privilege. 
Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. like, they're all rich. Like yep. it's really driven home. Oh well, yeah. They, and know? if you look at their careers, it's like the Authorities. framework yeah. of the patriarchy, you know? Well, yeah, that yeah, lawyers, yeah. doctors, and, yeah. mm-hmm. hotel owner. That's a hundred percent where I'm at. There's, there's a quote that I'm, I'm going to read. That's, um, it's on page 117 of my weird edition that I have, which by the way, is this, it's called the Stephen King horror library, which I had never known Ooh. about. Um, and so which really makes it feel, you know, fitting for this series. Mm-hmm. Cause this is basically going through his own horror library. Anyway. Um, the quote I had that I feel it kind of hits the nail on the head right here is, um, uh, none of them knew it was their golden age nor that it was coming to an end. In fact, they would have seen their lives in the usual fashion of people with comfortable existences, a sufficiency of friends and the, cent- the certainty of food on the table as a, process of, as a process of gradual and even imperceptible improvement. Having survived the crises of youth in the middle years, they thought they had wisdom enough to meet the coming crises of age. Having seen wars, adulteries, compromise and change, they thought they had seen most everything they would see. They'd make no larger claim, yet there were things they had not seen and which they wouldn't see in time. And I think that's really kind of goes into what you're discussing in that, like, it's this idea that like, yeah, because you have the age, because you have that sort of that, that, um, especially wealth and that, that, that sort of notion that you have the privileges of having the food on the table, the mansions and all, there's this notion that you you know all right that you mm-hmm. have that sort of authority on things that you are the one that should be dictating how things should be and i think one of the things i love about this story is how you know am upends all of this <laughs> like well, it doesn't matter who you are you're right. fucked like you know and sometimes it's hard not to take her side like yeah. i know I yeah. totally I and because i actually because the back of your book just reminded me another part of the narcissist and self-involvement is yeah. what she keeps saying to them is i am you yes, yeah? yes. right yeah. And also, this is a story of like, okay, what I referred to it is all that privilege means we can recreate ourselves. We can, we can be whatever it is that we decide we want to be. Mm-hmm. And that comes back to bite them in the ass because their stories become real Yep. Mm-hmm. in this very scary way. Whereas the other stories they've been telling themselves about, I'm going to grow up and do this and this and this, and this is my life. And I get to ha- decide how my life looks. I get to tell myself stories about, and they come true. This, these are stories that come true and come back to harm them. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, now that I think about it, yeah, like I'm much more on AM's side. Like, yeah. <laughs> she's, yeah. Well, she's I, like, she's got a point. <laughs> I found Just, something here. I was, I've been scouring through these notes because there was a bit of an explanation as to what the purpose is and whether or not there's even a true motive or it's just the way it is. And whether it's simplistic or it's just plain simple, that's up for the readers to decide. But yeah. the excerpt here I have is um, that Ava and, and company, basically everybody that comes back from the dead because of her and the other woman, um, or the other, who knows, the entity, uh, that they are supernatural beings whose only purpose was to kill, to create terror and chaos, and to take life as savagely as possible, saw that pain and death were the only poles of its being. He saw that this being had nothing in it that was human. It was only dressed in the body it had once owned. He saw, too, that this pure destructiveness was not its own master any more than the dog is. Another mind owned and directed it as surely as the creature owns the dreadful purity of its evil because it's all they want all they want to do is destroy so which kind of leans into her fucking around with the chowder society and yeah you know getting them all riled up or vice versa and then causing demise that way and because what leads to that is her having an affair and basically causing her the uh what's his name on the farm to basically 
mm-hmm. the thrasher, whatever it is, where the yeah. bombs get chopped up. So, I mean, it's just creating chaos, and it's just a continuation of that. In a way, you could say that a lot of this inspired it. I mean, I, I think. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, a lot. I mean, as much as this was inspired by Salem's Lot, this seemingly inspired it a lot five mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. six years later, you know? Yeah. Well, and, like, I want to be on AM's side as well, and there's part of me that just loves this, and I love that there is this female presence that is going to hold these men accountable regardless of what they do. Like we will not let this sin be buried. We will not let this woman's life be over. I love that. I really like the idea of that. I think the issue I have with it in this book is that that is like presented as the only thing that women are or that women can be. And I don't really see any other female characters that are not either judged for what, how they respond to the men or, you know, just do anything really that, you know, that have to do with their own lives. Aside from Stella, who has, I was going to say Stella is, yeah, but she's punished for it at the end. Like, I like that. But then she, she's like, oh no, I was wrong. I really love you. You know, I was on board with her until that moment, which not that that's bad, but I I just, I need more, you know, I I think that Stella is the way that she gets punished is not i don't mind like they have basically an open relationship yeah, yeah. and he knows oh, totally. about it and it's just like on the down low that's i was like oh that's kind of interesting because mm-hmm. he still love. he's like i love her and i she's amazingly hot and mm-hmm. i guess this is the price i pay for her yeah. being hot <laughs> yeah um although at the end she it's she's not hot anymore Do y'all, y'all notice that right? i know yeah. i couldn't and i was like how was that again bancroft anymore i know oh, yeah. I, was, I was like all right this but is now that she's that's, a, punish, that's a punishment and then also it specifically said stella didn't consider herself a feminist but yeah. she got angry about them leaving her there alone yeah and she goes off and oh no that turns out she needed rescuing mm-hmm. yeah know? yeah i guess um, it goes back to that the quote i think it's in the first or second part where it says um America's first fictional heroes were all old men mm-hmm. by Robert Ferguson. I was like, well, yeah, I guess he, if he wants to lean into that quote, he, he pulled it off here. <laughs> well, it really yeah, he really that, did. You know, it's because they were the ones that could get published, you know? Yeah, so, exactly right. Yeah. Which is a whole nother yeah. tangent, but yeah. yeah, that'll be our next dance macabre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, do we have any other themes that we want to discuss here or do, should we move into the characters, get into the characters a little bit? Yeah, let's do that. Let's yeah. talk about. Seamless transition. Transition. You know, let's let's <laughs> let's let's talk about the guests and ghosts. Look, we're not going to go over every character. Uh, we're just, we're just not. We can't. I want to uh, talk about Omar. Can we talk yeah, about Omar? We, we will. We absolutely will. You know, it's funny. Of thought. all the characters you got notes for, I don't think I've got yeah. any Omar notes. Observer. This character is drunk. Observer. Right? There you go. Yeah. You will, you will absolutely be the oracle here, Justin, because uh, this book has so many fucking characters. I, I, I think. It's, I think it has more characters than needful things. And that mm-hmm. the, the characters in that book are one of the reasons why we had to do like three, almost three episodes dedicated to that novel. Well, look, I mean, there are so many characters in this book. There's one character that's four characters. I mean, that's yes, exactly. Characters. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, I think we're going to do a round robin. And uh, we have four sections that I've, I've kind of put out to, for here. Uh, I have the Chowder Society, uh, which includes Ricky Hawthorne, Sears James, Louis Benedict, John Jaffrey, Edward Wanderley, and Stella Hawthorne. Yes, I'm including Stella in the Chowder Society. Uh, those darn kids, 
which includes Don Wanderley. Yes, the kid. Sorry, he's a kid compared to, <laughs> comparatively to everyone compared else. Compared to, this. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Peter Barnes, Jim Hardy, and I even threw Penny Drager in there. Um, okay. Yeah. Why not? Also punished for having sex. <laughs> yes, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, and then we got those darn ghosts. Uh, Ava Gali, a.k.a. Anna Mobley, or the, Ma- the Manitou. Uh, we have Manitou. Stringer, Gregory the <laughs> oh, Wolf. Oh, yes. We have Fenny, we have Dr. Rabbitfoot, and then we have the Motley Milburn crew, which is basically, you know, dealer's choice. You could do whatever you want there. Um, Omar so, Humphrey. Yes, you could. Annie that's where you could get. That's where you could get Omar for sure. Um, let's talk about. Millie. Let's go to the chowder. Let's go to the chowder first. Um, Justin, hmm. who is your MVP of the Chowder Society? I don't think this was necessarily the best person of the Chowder Society, but. I think it's Sears James, if only because of that great story he tells of teaching at that school when he was younger. That that story is so good. Yeah. Uh, it's so scary. Mm, so yeah. good. Yeah. And so he seems to me he's the strongest. He's the most interesting of the Chowder Society members, I guess you could say for me. If not the, the best of them, he's the most compelling character for me would be Sears James. Yeah, and I, I kind of like that he's this. There's he's such a fucking curmudgeon too. Like there's a there's mm-hmm. a line on on page like uh, 132 that I was like I was just laughing. Uh, the part when he's just like um, he's like that's it. I'm tired and I'm going home. Noisy music makes me want to bite someone. <laughs> I was like Jesus Christ. It's like me ending like, house parties ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> just walking in there. I'm out of here. Everybody get this racket off. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. He's he's any any uh, any thoughts on Sirius James, everyone? Do we have a? I have a I have a thought slash question. Yeah, which is there's this one thing that Ricky says <laughs> very early in the book, which is they're talking about the Mary Sistella, and he asks something about do you wish that I had gotten married? And um, Ricky feared that he'd say sometimes I wish you'd never married too. And yes. Like, oh, I remember that. And I was thinking, are they going to get into this in 1979 or whatever this came out? And they don't. Yeah. No. But you know? that was an interesting little uh, little nugget there. I definitely I mean, made it too. There's such a thing as homosocial, right? Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Just sure. like it's. I wish we could have been better friends, and we just like pal around at the you know law firm and stuff. But that was really interesting, and they didn't pick it up ever again. Nope. No. Uh, and there's no sort of confirmed bachelor hints either, I guess, except that he's kind of a dapper dresser, but then they all are. Kind I, of yeah. all I feel like um, everybody in this book is pretty dapper. Yeah. <laughs> except for uh, Omar. I mean, except for Omar. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I also, of all of, the, of all of them, I do think Sears is the one I'd want to hang out with. Yeah. Honestly. yeah. Like, I, That's your I favorite? Think, yeah. And the story, his story is the best story. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty great. That's that's yeah. all. That's honestly when I was hooked into the book. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was pulled in through that story, and then ultimately when we meet Don in California, I'm like, all right, I'm all in. I have to finish this right now. Yeah. Like, um, what what else did you like about Sears though? Like besides the storytelling, is there like is there? Did you think his fate was was uh, was was met his uh, you know his I, character? He died fighting. Yeah. yeah. Right. And the other thing that I liked about him, and this is not king doesn't always have this character which is the one that is believably against the supernatural mm-hmm. and then believably has a decision to be like oh well okay. fuck yeah <laughs> like i guess i guess there are ghosts you know I, I think king sometimes as people do a turnaround on this but you know usually at the very last minute like oh like here i am being killed by a ghost so i guess ghosts mm-hmm. are real 
and whereas Sears, I think, does an interesting kind of like, doesn't believe, doesn't believe, then his own belief starts to get a little hollow, like he's being a little defensive. And then towards the end is like, I guess this is, this is what we're going to have to deal with. Yeah. And he's Which feels very realistic. Like, yeah. like I, I sometimes think about what would happen if I was suddenly confronted with evidence that the supernatural was happening. I 100% agree. Because I'm oh, very God. much that the of this group who's very much like, mm-hmm. no, are there the are no ghosts, James. there's nothing else. And I can't even imagine, <laughs> I can't even imagine if I was, if this happened to me where I came to that realization that, oh, actually, there, there is the supernatural. Okay, yeah, that's when a good I was question. in my no, no, but what, what I'm saying is, I can't even imagine what my mind would do 20, 30 years from now. If I, I think it would take me even more of a, even more like I just would. But it's a believable transformation, right? Yeah, like, I could not. I don't know if I could wrap my brain around. He even says in the in the story he sees Finney on the steps of his house, and he still terrifying. can't accept it. And I wonder if that's how I would react too. Would I just be? so convinced or my mind would be so blown i couldn't wrap my head around it you would know? you i think i feel like with you because i was going to ask you since you are the cynic of this stuff with when it comes to supernatural i'm the like, sears at what james point, of the group you well. are the sears james of the sears group. justin sears justin ah. um sears gerber um <laughs> when w- w- at what point would you finally believe or would you just kind of credit to like oh i'm old it's dementia or something like that <laughs> like, you know, i think um if literally everybody in the town was saying that this was happening, I'd probably be like, all right, I guess all this right. is probably happening. <laughs> so no, you're more yeah. hardesty, actually. Yeah, um, I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. It would take, I, I don't know. I, you know, I hope I never find out. <laughs> yeah, let's hope that. <laughs> I don't want any dead kids showing up on my steps or anything like that, you know? Yeah. I'm good to go. well, I'm good tonight to go. you're going to be going to bed and you'll be like, well, that was a fun game. And then, like, you know, you shut the lights off and there's going to be Fenny sitting on your couch being like, what's It'd up? be like a wasp playing um, around or something. Yeah, right. Exactly. Jen, favorite of the Chatter Society. Oh, Sears, for sure. Yeah. Sears, yeah, God, everything we talked about. But also, Unanimous like MVP. the the like the the way his name just kind of hits my ears. I just yeah. love, you it's know, a great, like great I, name. every time I heard it, I was like, oh, first name Sears, that's fun. Like he probably, I don't know, I'd probably be angry at him for some other things, but like I just, I like kind of like how Straub leans in on him and just is like, yeah, he's just like a curmudgeon. He is like the thing that I was complaining about earlier. That's just kind of who he is. And, you know, I like that. I like him. I, God, that's crazy. I'm going to, I'm going to veer to the left a little bit, just like uh, my character did. Um, Lewis Benedict is my favorite. I think mm. he's great. I, Cary I love, Grant. I love, yeah, he's <laughs> I loved imagining him as Cary Grant. Oh, I mean, Cary Grant. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me you can have him in your head. Yeah. Lewis yeah. Benedict. That's <laughs> my Cary Grant imitation. There you go. Who's the dad in a field of dreams? Oh, um, hold on. I can the see dad. him. Oh, yeah, you mean the, like, the actual dad. Yeah, the actor that, that plays in Field of Dreams. That's oh, who he's I also in The Cutting Edge. Oh, is that? Oh, oh so he's Beyonce. not a famous actor then. Okay, no, then never mind. I'm All right, well, the then never mind. Who is I, it? I, I'm going to go with Cary Grant. The, we now, talk like yeah. Burt Lancaster in Yeah, Burt Lancaster. Yes. Oh, he's oh, not the dad. Yeah. He's the baseball player oh, that comes back. He's older. Yeah, that's Archibald something yeah archibald yeah, yeah. oh okay Carrie well, grant is so much hotter if i'd okay. gotten to be a like, doctor i don't know the 1940s <laughs> burt lancaster was pretty attractive you know he was an attractive guy all right but he was no he was no age and just stayed like they say with lewis just like stay sorry we could have a whole this like, podcast has now become serious <laughs> there's a ghost in my house serious i don't know how to get out of here i don't I just Wyatt love Brown the f- is the dad of Kevin Costner, and he is pretty dreamy. Yeah, but he'd be more My- like the Don Waterly character, you know, or Don Waverly character. He probably yeah. would, actually. Yeah, but I, the thing I like about Lewis is that he's this broken playboy. 
I love his chapters. I think the his lifestyle is so intriguing by comparison to everyone else's. I think it's so I just couldn't get over the fact that he just like hangs out in the bars, has like hamburgers, has some beers and goes home. And like there's just something oh, no, but he goes home with younger women, which is I know like, it's like, like the, a true king. I mean, look at Yeah, that. I mean it, it's crazy. Oh, like but I for fake. I love I love it that he pretends to like, you know, 27 year olds, but really he's hot for like the minute housewife. I know. Dude, that's Stella, so yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah. And that's my thing is, so my tie, I almost kind of have a tie because I really love Stella a lot. I, I thought her character was so much fun to read. And I like the fact that they do have this sort of, um, I don't know, like Lawrence Kasdan style relationship between them where it's almost kind of like, um, you know, they do have some sort of unspoken relationship where they probably would be the better couple because they're almost equals in that sense. Yeah. Um, and so I, I did like that. And, I, and then the, the chapter with Stella when they're on the, the side of the highway. And she's like fucking going off on Harold is great. Um, and then just the way that Lewis kind of goes out, it's it's almost like its own story. You know, he's he's almost sort of like not really part of this group in a way, even though he's really essential towards what happens with Ava Galley. But like he just seems kind of in his own track. And I really like that track. Like that, that, that I think Anna was talking about that a little bit earlier, but that dreamlike quality of him discovering that kind of door the breakfast in the woods oh yeah and then yeah. and that's going through and kind of jumping around people become different people he's yeah times and rooms and i love that whole section too it's yeah. it's wonderful and like the, the also the the walks that he has like the morning walk when he comes in and it's it's they it's almost like one of my favorite parts in a horror movie where they don't really lean into the payoff they just he comes in the breakfast is made and he's like I'm going to go hunting like that was I was so in into that that whole section. So I I love Lewis. It was great. I was really bummed out when he when he left. It kind of felt like um, God, what's that movie where like the, the, like where like a great lead kind of cuts away like in the third act and the Eternals left. The, oh, maybe it is the Eternals. Yeah. But what I was going to say about Lewis, I do think he gets a little bit short shrift. He it, does. It, I mean, I, I, I think, again, just imagining Cary Grant really I wish I could have done more of that. Um, but also he does have the most interesting death, mm -hmm. definitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it was also during his story that I was like, if only the guys had talked more, they would have unraveled this much more quickly. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like your because the whole Florence DePizer, right? Like if only they had just said a little bit more to each other, maybe this is a meta commentary on how men don't communicate very well, but um it's he also <laughs> Lewis seems the most in touch with his feelings. Oh yeah. Like he definitely. You know, he he understands his own motivations a little bit and like what he's doing when he cuts off these relationships, you know, with with women after they fall in love with him. He's like, oh, no, never mind. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was interesting reading these characters because I probably should mention this at the top. But I mean, I know Melbourne isn't a real place, but my dad <laughs> grew up in upstate New York. So when yeah. we go back to visit. I'm not saying everybody in New York, upstate New York is like this, but I definitely got <laughs> these vibes like the guys have a certain stature. And then so even in the 80s, you know, and so many of the women are just kind of the the housewives. And it's just the way that that society, for lack of a better word, has just always been. And the, like I've met I've met Lewis's and I've met Stella's mm -hmm. and I've met Millie's and I've met, you know, I've met all those types of characters in upstate New York. And I'm very curious to see what that what that area would be like now. because I haven't been back there. It's in like 30 years. See, wonder. my dad, my dad went to Syracuse and he, he'd always wanted to move back to upstate New York and mm. he's around and the winters couldn't do it. Yeah, he just yeah, couldn't do it. Yeah. That's, thing. and oh that's, that's honestly what he told me. He said when I, cause I was going to go to Syracuse for college and he's like, no, don't do it. It's you're going to be miserable <laughs> most of the time. 
And then I moved to Chicago, which really worked out. But um, <laughs> it, it did work out, but I'm telling you otherwise. Hey, we've got so. more concert venues here. That's true. But I, I will say that um, I do think that a lot is, I think, I think one of the things I really got kind of sad about reading this book is just how like those, the singularity of these towns are rare. I feel like I, I just think of like how every town kind of gets stamped with like the same CVSs, the same Walmarts, the same sort of things now. And I do kind of miss that, you know, you could have when someone would talk about this town versus that town, there there was a larger difference. I'm not saying there aren't differences now, but I think that there are larger differences then. And I just don't know if you have that. And it, that kind of fills into what I felt like when I was reading Salem's Lot, and which is why I think both these stories do deal with like the the evolution of the small town. And it's not that much of a surprise to think of the the idea that this is going right into the 80s in which most of this stuff is going to start happening. We're, you know, ramping up corporatization, like all this stuff is going to, you know, these copy and paste type businesses are going to be, you know, popping up left well, and right. Straub makes no, it, it's so jarring to me. It's another thing I thought, I, I assume that this book took place in the 30s or 40s, you mm-hmm. know, where everybody's dressed up. Yeah. So it's so jarring. I think on page one, a McDonald's is mentioned. Yeah. And you're like, oh, is this like a kind of little subversion? This is not your old fashioned ghost story. This is a modern day telling. It's not your papa's ghost story. <laughs> this isn't your grandfather's ghost story. There's more yeah. than just Coca-Cola products. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, least favorite characters of the Chowder Society. I think this one's pretty easy, but uh, Jen, kick this one off. What's, who's your least favorite of the, of the group? I don't like Stella. Stella? I was on board for her for a long time. And I think the reason is in comparison to King, she bugged me because of that. Because I I liked her a lot. And then I feel like one thing King does very well is gets into the heads of all of his characters. And I don't really ever feel like Straub gets out of the heads of the Chowder Society. You know, like I... I don't think he ever sees Stella as the lead character in her own life, which I really wanted her to be. I mean, I don't know. She was one of, I think I, she just broke my heart a little bit at the end, you know? So, sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's fair. I mean, look, what if we were all like, all right, well, podcast over. Well, uh, yeah, right. Uh, uh, Justin, what your least favorite? You know, he shares my first name initial, but it's not even necessarily John Jaffrey's fault. He's just not in a lot of it. I know. I couldn't think of yeah. it. So it's by comparison, everybody else has a little bit more to do. And I did find his death quite disturbing. Uh-huh. That slow walk towards the bridge or whatever was going on. I thought that was kind of creepy. But yeah, yeah. I mean, the other ones just have more to do. And, you know, there you go. Yeah, my, my least favorite loser, you know, is Stan. Yeah, exactly. Because he yeah. just has a seat in the bathroom. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I remember. Fault. I remember when uh, it's funny because I'm actually going to pull out. Oh, I don't actually don't have it here anymore for a good reason. I remember they, you know, those boxes that are like the mini Funkos that have like the surprises in there, and you can see which characters they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it came out, I remember opening one of them. And I was like really excited. I was like, oh my god, it merchandise! I can't believe it. And I opened it up, and it was like a sad adult stand. I was like. <laughs> fuck wants this character and like it was Aww. just it was so depressed like even sammy was like do we want to even like take it home and was like i was like yeah i guess so I guess was it just a it. bathtub with somebody sitting in it or something no or it's just him his head down and he's looking sad i'm like, like what the tears? fuck toy is this oh, yeah, like, who wants this oh it was John so, Jaffrey, I, have, I wish i had it it was somewhere in, it's not up here anymore but um yeah i took it away it was depressing me anna <laughs> least favorite remember oh, i mean Dr. Jeffrey, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I don't even think it's because he's not in it very much. Although 
when we meet him, he's already broken. That's kind mm-hmm. of part of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And he just seems pathetic. Yeah. Like just kind of like who would want to hang out with this person, you know? So, and then when at his party, it's also who would want to hang out with this person, you know, like yeah. very thirsty, try hard guy, you know? And I don't, and then also it was very weird for him to turn out to be a morphine addict, just like all of a sudden. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I do. It's like, like hey, surprise, he's a morphine addict. And they kind of gloss over it a little bit too. They're like, they're like well, maybe that explains it. Um, yeah, hmm. he's a morphine she- addict. I, I did think his death was one of the more disturbing ones. Though, mm-hmm. And also I would say that slow walk and then also his skin peeling off on the metal bridge. Oof. Like, oh, Leash. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yes, and I kept yes. thinking, and they, the movie does a really good job at this. Um, the fact that he hits the ice when he falls, mm-hmm. not, not into the water. It's like, he kind of smacks right into the ice, like tough death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, should we have a conversation about the party now? Cause they're in the charter. The ice like, storm. Cause the ice, it is the ice storm, right? Like it, it felt like- feels that way. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 it, it, it's, it's just so as the kids say, thirsty right like that's yeah. the thing that i didn't i about the jaffrey part of it that i didn't like the episodic nature of it or it's mostly seen through ricky's eyes right yeah. he's telling the story right i think yeah i a pre, i think it's pretty realistic i think it's very hard to portray what what a party feels like mm-hmm. you know um i think have any of you ever read The Gay Place by Billy Lee Brammer? No. Mm-hmm. My favorite political novel. It's my favorite novel about Texas. Um, highly recommended. Not supernatural in any way, but um, it has a similar party scene. It, this reminded me of that, which is that it almost feels like, oh, oh, Sideways also does a good job with this, with that feeling of what it means to like be drinking and talking to different people. Mm. And it's kind of almost like too much. That's the way I experience parties. <laughs> it, oh, same. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, I love to party. I, I can't. I need one. I need one on ones <laughs> at the parties usually. Like, you know, I think that felt like some of the better writing mm-hmm. in the book. It, it just felt like what it is like to be at a party, especially when you don't particularly want to be at. 100%. It also captures something which is every party in which yeah, if same. somebody is if somebody is sober and watching people who are mm-hmm. not sober. It just I think there's the one action of is I think Peter's he sees Peter I think he sees uh, who's who touches his mother's leg it's um, oh it's Lewis it's Lewis yeah Lewis yeah, yeah. and I feel like My mind, Lewis man. and them, they're <laughs> drunk at that point I don't know if he even realizes exactly what he's doing and how it will come across but young Peter sees it I think they capture that part of a party pretty well too of somebody who's not drinking mm-hmm. versus somebody who's drinking and how actions can be construed if not even misconstrued mm-hmm. but just viewed upon differently so it well, the be- loss of self-control like yeah, the, the mm-hmm. loss of inhibitions and what that how what it means because you're completely I, I know as a non-drinker like yeah. i know exactly what you're talking about people mm-hmm. if i could just say a couple more things about that because yeah. you made me realize that's one of the things that makes it such a good scene and I, mm-hmm. I wasn't quite in touch with the sober versus not sober but when you're a sober person at a party mm-hmm. people turn into different versions of themselves yeah. mm-hmm. and it's when I was drinking, I never knew that about myself, right? So it's such an interesting thing when it happens. It, it's disturbing, actually. I usually, I mean, I guess none of us are real super social party animals, but I always nowadays have to leave, and it's not because I'm bothered by the drinking. Yeah, it's because I'm bothered by this transformation. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, and they kind of yeah. cap- like you said, they capture pretty well. I mean, yeah, in that scene. Yeah, they the the thing that I kept 
wondering about is because my mom's a drinker or was a drinker. Now she's, I don't know where she's at at this point. But, whole other story. Um, whole other story. It's a whole other story. It's a, that's another ghost story, to be honest with you. But uh, I do, it did make me People wonder, disappear. They, they do. And it made me remember like the parties growing up. And we would go to a lot of these huge neighborhood parties that were, you know, for holiday functions and all. And it, it, it did make a lot of this book just made me think about just the passage of time, obviously, but just where I'm at right now. And I wonder if the parties with, you know, parents and their kids are the same as they were in like when I was growing up with the, the 80s and 90s. And I, and I wonder how much technology changes things where, you know, things are being filmed, things are being taped and, um, you know, social media is there. Everyone can chit chat about so and so and yada, yada, yada. Because I remember growing up how crazy the fucking neighborhood parties were. And it's on a, you're like exactly what you're saying. Like people are different. And I remember looking at the adults and parents that I knew that would pick me up at like soccer practice. And they're fucking going off the rocker of, of stuff. I mean, there'd be times when like, like all the dads that we knew would have to like hold up another dad. Like they'd bring them back to like, the, you know, the upstairs and then they'd sleep over. And I, it would just show the transparent, the full transparency of who they, they, the, the, this, their kind of internal spirit. And I do feel like this this chapter has that, but it did just make me wonder, like, if that still exists today, if that's still like a a thing that happens with like kids running around and like these adult parties and that sort of wild and craziness happening, or if it's a little hey, more. Hey, there's a there's a parent here. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> Jen, I'll say the floor, I'll say I'll say I don't know if I can speak to that. But yeah. Jen, I think yeah. Mike, Jen, what do you so Jen, yes. what do you make of these this party? The floor is well, yours. Yeah, it did kind of. I, I agree with a lot of what Anna was saying. Um, but yeah, on the street that I moved into about a year ago, like it's very, very, very social. And like every Friday night we have like dinner with friends where the kids all want to eat together. And like we end up like going to one of the neighbor's houses and eating hmm. and everybody but me is a drinker and, you know, some more than others. But like there are some nights where they are shit faced and and they're all great. Nobody is ever like super. Nobody ever got to the level that I used to get to when I would go to dinner with friends on Fridays. Um, but yeah, like we'll, we'll be playing some of these games and it's like the curse words are just kind of flying around and like the the kind of shit talking starts flying a little bit and then we'll realize one of the kids is in the room, you know, and we're like, oh, shit, you know, or one of the kids <laughs> wants to hang out with us, you know, and like, oh, what about hookups talking? though? Because that's, that, that is something that I used to see as a kid. Like there would be like, I never I, saw I, that. That would I, be I a scandalous I think flirting. Yeah. But I don't know about hookups. And I, I wanted to say something about the transformation part. I have come to believe it's not in vino veritas. Like, it's not that you're seeing their true self. You're sometimes hmm. just seeing, like, a side that maybe they don't necessarily want you to see. It's yeah. it's because I did things when I was drinking that are not me. Yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You yeah. Know? Like, I did shit that I wouldn't do. you know, morally, because that's not really who I am. Same. Sure. There's a part of me that is that way. Like there is with all of us that would make some questionable moral decisions. Like if all our inhibitions are now, but our inhibitions are a part of us. Right. Well, and that's kind of what I see too, is that it's really just that you lose control or you lose your filter or you stop like restricting yourself the way you normally do in your life. Cause like I've done a lot of shit and said a lot of shit. That's not me either, you know, but now that I am sober, I can recognize things that are like intrusive thoughts and they're not me either, but they come into my head. And I think when I was drinking, it would just come into my head and out my mouth, you know, and it yeah. doesn't necessarily reflect who I am. I mean, it just 
you know. That's the thing about drinking is it's like you said, it's the restriction. Almost thing. any drug, by the way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, well like, yeah. Well, it's like the carnal side, I always call it. Where yeah. it's like, yeah. it's, it's like that, 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 that sort of, it, it just, it's almost like you become more carnivorous in a weird way. Um, and, yeah. and that's kind of how I've always looked at it is that like, it's those things that you can push the brakes on things when you're not thinking that, but those brakes, the locks are off and you're just kind of like, you know, oh. yeah, with yeah. me, with, it, with it, drinking or drugs, I, I, if there's a positive, I don't become like an angry, mean person, but sometimes I become too happy. Yes. And, uh, Same. Know, and yeah. Like, yeah. Eh, maybe I need to be only so happy sometimes. Well, it's like I, I, it's like I almost become like Ronnie Dangerfield, where I'm saying things that are just like, like uh, I'm trying to get the best joke, and then I look back and I'm like, eh, probably could, probably would have pumped yeah. the brakes a little bit more. I just want to point out that he's very different. Straub does not portray his two actual drunks with much sympathy at all, and they don't ring true. It's like the who's the drunk in Andy Griffith who's like just got literally got the big isn't there a town drunk there is I can't re- I can't remember like that. a bottle with XXX yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like that's and I will say King when he has like sort of town drunk characters he's actually very kind to them yeah like mm-hmm. you know and they have a backstory and they have pain Mm-hmm. And like the sheriff is just a dick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Total dick. <laughs> I can't wait to because obviously King he's had probably his... a dick without alcohol, but like his character is drunk dick. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. Well, and King that's... obviously had his battles, so I think that yeah, he was that's able no, to find I mean, a, I'm sure a that's way why, in, right? I'm sure that's why yeah. it is. But that's kind of what have, I was yeah. saying with like the female characters is I feel like yeah. King has always said like every character is the main story in their own life, and I just don't know if I get that sense from Straub's writing, you know. Yeah. Well, this is like literary style is gorgeous, but you know. What do you what do you make of the kids though? Because that's our next section. That those darn kids. They're all um, right. You know, do you think kids that are, you know, yeah, the are kids all right. are all right? Yeah. You know, hey. Also uh, these days. <laughs> yeah, the kids these days. Oh yeah. Also <laughs> <laughs> those darn yeah. Jen, when when you're thinking about that idea, do you think that he brings that that sort of mean story? to the at least the the teen or young adults of this story and who was your favorite um i think my favorite was don wanderley mostly because i just really loved that section at berkeley Mm -hmm. um and he really got me on board with that character but i feel like the kids i like i realized halfway through that one of the kids is a kid and was not one of the chowder society and it's because i was listening probably but i think that this is the lesser defined section of it i think the 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 narrative is firmly through the lens of the chowder society all the way through um for the most part and yeah but i do like don wanderley yeah because i almost kind of saw don as like the conduit yeah for straub like straub probably saw himself as don entering the story especially meta wise and being like all right i gotta figure this out and string it all together and I'm the writer and struggling here and there. That's how well, I and he does actually it. become a chowder society here. Yeah. Also. Yeah. So. yeah. It's like, by it's telling like saved story. by the bell, the new class, you know, character. That's true. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, wow. Like, no wonder this seems like a King novel. So yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Right. He's like, but I will say he's better than Ben Mears because Ben Mears, we were saying is just kind of like a, yeah. you know, That's too good. Right. Too, too much. Yeah. Yeah. Anna, who's your favorite kid in this? It seems that this is a weird question to ask, but yeah. who's your favorite child? Don Juan. Yeah, who's yeah. your favorite child? I, well, I tend to hate children, to be honest. But, yeah, um, same. Uh, I actually liked Peter. Yeah. Um, Don, I think I understood, but in the who would I hang out with kind of spectrum, I think Peter is an interesting, sensitive kid. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I found his, when we get inside his head, like he has this wild friend, right? Like Jim, I, if I, so many names to remember. Mm-hmm. And I completely understood the idea of like wanting to be a wild kid yourself. Yes, yes. But not quite having the push to do it. Like you're, you're just not quite that brave or not mm-hmm. quite that, you know, it does seem yeah, fearless because that's what it seems like as a kid. Like adult wise, we look back and we're like, no, that's immoral or wrong. Or like, you should be more, you should think more about other people. But in the context of being a kid, you look at someone like who's just willing to break the rules. And that's like, that's, that's such a, cause Peter's clearly a nerd. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And we're, I am a nerd. And I, and so I got that part of him and also the discomfort he has with knowing that his mom's having an affair, mm-hmm. I think is. Yeah feels real um and then also when his dad kind of just crumbles into grief yeah um, like that dark. feels very real and i was worried that he was gonna die so like fun. one of the reasons i, I had to keep reading was like you cannot fucking kill that kid <laughs> like <laughs> i will be so mad <laughs> because he really sets it up like you know it's believable that he could die because he kills off so many other characters mm-hmm. yeah um i was happy to have him kind of age out of the chowder society if yeah that makes sense. He, he lives his Same. own life he's his own person after the yeah. events of the story but i think peter too and i i think a lot of it has to do with well first of all i took his nickname clarabelle that jim affectionately or disaffectionately gives him. <laughs> yeah you did but I, I like structure a lot in my life i love using google sheets you know i love these things but <laughs> i do too. like how peter is really introduced past the halfway mark of this book and becomes a huge character i know and i kind of liked how i don't want to say sloppy but the loose structure of that i was kind of like oh strop's gonna do whatever the hell he wants to do by telling the story um but yeah i agree with everything on you said about him i i related in a lot of ways to him when i was younger and kind of trying to impress the older kids on the school bus or in high school or or whatever and in in certain king books this character does die i think yeah. about needful things yeah. Mm-hmm. um yeah uh, but a lot, he's like I Mark think Petrie, but that Mark was Petrie my thing. I think the biggest comp you can make yeah. is the Mark and Ben would be mm-hmm. Peter and Don in this story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know, yeah. the writer comes to yeah. town, like Ben Mears comes to town, and the kid who meets him, and yeah. So, but I'm no, surprised I like this, that like stuff a lot. I, I mean, aren't you kind of surprised that King and Strav like became friends? Like you, you think like almost if I'm reading this and I'm King, and I just wrote Salem's Lot, I'm reading this and like. All right, so you got this town that's besieged <laughs> by a, thing, a fucking writer, <laughs> a fucking kid. Crook. Yeah, there's an <laughs> old man that's like Mac, Matt Burke. There's another kid, you know, old man that's like Do- the Doc. Mm. What do you? Well, what, the what are you the original to- title was called Jeru's Lot, <laughs> and I thought, oh wow, they really leave well, on the nose. Yeah. Uh, vampire story in the new Salem's Juice. Salem's Juice. Yeah, Frankenstein story. I so I'm I'm gonna swerve here. Um, I gotta speak for Randall. I'm because uh, I, I feel like me and him are usually on the same hey, page. With this I stuff. think we're, I, I have no problem with your choice here. Cause I think this character is also such an asshole. Go ahead. I, I love him. <laughs> I, I, I think Jim Hardy fucking rules. I think he's a great character. I, I had so much fun with him. I think that I love a bad boy and I love a bad boy that has a turn where you kind of actually feel for him because in, in the, in the early on, you're like, man, this guy's such a dickhead. And you know, he's, he's kind of an asshole to, to Lewis. Um, but when he gets into the thick of it, I'm rooting for him. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, get it. I, I want to, you know, he, he, he has one of the scariest moments of the story. Absolutely. Um, when he, when he's looking up into the, the, you know, the, the caboose, the, the railroad thing, uh, cart, 
Um, and he like looks up and he sees Fenny on the top of the roof. I, I had to like put my book down. Like I was like, this is ulti- this is so frightening in the way he describes it. <laughs> I can't believe it. you didn't include Finney as a kid, right? Yeah. Well, uh, well, I. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. God, we've got. <laughs> he should. He could be, but he's he's saving for the next section. Which let's just go there. Let's just jump okay. in because I, I don't need to talk too much about Jim. He's a great. He's a great bad boy. We like bad boys and bullies on the Losers Club, especially if they're well drawn. I think Jim was well drawn, and he has a pretty sad. Face. And you knew he was gonna die. Oh, he's, no, like, absolutely. Maybe he'll make it to the, no, he no, knew he was no he's done, die. done. He's dead. Um, get, awful death too, by the way. Mm. Um, and he's, he's killed by the hands of those darn ghosts. Um, we got Ava Galley, Stringer, Gregory, the wolf, Fenny, and, uh, Dr. Rabbit foot. Um, <laughs> Let's all make a case for Dr. Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> oh, well, I really like the minstrel I mean, character. Yeah, a, a fresh take. A fresh oh, take on the you know, I, I really love the, the minstrel character. It was really great. Um, you know, <laughs> check out uh, Bamboozled by Spike Lee. <laughs> yeah, like, right? Like Cary Grant in blackface. Uh, uh, Dr. Rabbit. God. I mean, we're probably all going to maybe, say, I imagine we're all going to say Ava Galli, but um, Anna. W- w- yeah. I yeah. mean, again, I, I think Jen and I are both kind of cautiously on her side. I mm-hmm. mean, she has a re- she has a point as i was saying yeah <laughs> like, um, show me the lie about yeah. her about her about what she's got going um i think that but in terms of scary she's not the scariest no the scariest is fanny honestly i agree like yeah. the gregory bait whatever gb um mm-hmm. is pretty scary uh but it's finny that is eerie right yeah i, I have some thoughts on why gregory falls apart a little bit and but. and we movement we've all mentioned why we like sears's story about the sort of creation of, of finney that was such a super disturbing story i mean mm-hmm. there's sort of there's incest yeah. suggested mm-hmm. and even before they become before finney like becomes whatever it is that these things are are sears's awareness of his own privilege and his kind of like repulsion from the kids but also knowing like he really should try to do something i think is really well done and very real i think maybe a lot of us privileged white people kind of can know know that reaction right Mm -hmm. and it's it's a it's a fine reaction there's nothing wrong with knowing that your privilege makes you recoil Mm -hmm. right um, you're trying to unlearn that and he's trying to unlearn that mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. um, even when the does, adults around him don't want him to yeah, yeah that's no. right and, and he does wind up saving the girl right yeah, yeah. that's true and, and 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 his so his his bravery which it, it is like he just show bravery like you know doesn't doesn't go unrewarded um but yeah i'd say finney's the scariest okay of them so although i'm a big fan of am yeah but, are you uh, AM or FM, uh, Jen? <laughs> I guess well, uh, Benny doesn't work. FB. Yeah. FB, yeah, that's true. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, well, AM, of course, I think. But I think I kind of have a love-hate relationship with AM because, like I was saying, like I love her in the story, and I think, you know, I want to haunt a bunch of men and kill them all one by one. God. But, like, I, <laughs> when I'm looking at all of these female characters in the book I hate that so many of them become the same character because I think that speaks to a larger issue to me is that there really are no true female characters in this story I feel like Stella is a possible exception although I've already said my issues with her but like I just feel like so many of them 
exist in their relationship to men and they don't really have like she literally does not have a life of her own she's a ghost you know and so I think as much as I do love her and maybe want to be her one day when I die um I think I, you know, I, I love her with an asterisk. <laughs> I'm going to be like 75 years old, which by the way, I don't want to be what I, 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 it's, I have a cutoff, but like if I am and I just managed to like be, you know, walking around some campus for cause God knows why I'd be at a college campus, but I just look over and there's like, I see someone's like, Oh, it kind of looks like Jen Adams over there. I'm, I'm going to absolutely run away uh, yeah, at that uh-huh. point. Cause I'm going to be like, Oh, she's coming to get me. Yeah. Um, that's good advice for us all. You know? Yeah. You know, um, J- Justin, uh, who's your favorite ghost here? <laughs> I think I don't think AM is the scariest. Like on, I think that the the Bates Bros. Yeah. Are, <laughs> the Bates have bros. the scariest like parts. It. But something the that Brothers Straub Bates. does here, the Bates. Yeah, or that, like that Straub, something that Straub doesn't do here, that that King falls prey to a lot, and which I usually complain about, is I love the fact throughout this entire novel, as long as it is, we do not spend any time one on one. No. With the antagonists. Yeah. We only see them through the eyes of the the protagonists or the, the supporting characters. And that is a huge strength that I think this book has to the very end. Because like we said before in other King books, in the last quarter of it, we're usually spending more time with the villains and we're seeing how they're melting down. So we're no longer afraid of them, even if the characters are. Mm-hmm. And I love in this, I mean, we we we, we discover that they have faults and that they're able to be destroyed but we're only learning that as the characters are learning it mm-hmm. and i and that does not let up throughout the entire story and i really love that and which is why i personally love the the mystery of am is that she was kind of just a spectral that was just existing throughout the time and their lives are almost based off of what she has done as yeah. opposed to vice versa in a lot of ways mm-hmm. so i really like the element of the how the villain especially the main villain was told. This is kind of just this, this person that was always off in the distance, no matter how close they really were physically. So it would yeah. be AM for me. Same with me. I, I, the AM stuff is great, specifically Anna, um, because uh, I, I think that just little things that, that are weaved into her story are really eerie. Like the whole OTO thing was really interesting. Like how like she knew about the, you know, the cult that was going around XX. at the time. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the, the weird, the, that's, that sort of, um, biker cult, I guess it was. XXX. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. what it's called. Manson adjacent. Yeah. 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 I, I thought it was an interesting. Alma earlier, but yeah, the, the, Berkeley... Oh, it is Alma. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, They're the, all the Berkeley beauty. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, she's, yeah, she's, uh, she's the best of the ghosts. Yeah. Of the, the AMs. Because it's just, it's so eerie how, how many layers that she has to it. I mean, like, I don't know. It just got, it really got to me. And there's a lot of passages that Straub writes where, that are like clearly through Don's eyes where they're just kind of, um, they're really chilling. Like they, they just keep adding more and more to her similarly to the, the, you know, the, the original funny story. Like the fact that she's like, like has a ghost that follows her, like Tasker Martin. Like that is such a weird and creepy fucking addition to an already creepy thing that's happening. And for that, in that respect, it did remind me a little bit of King because I feel like King's really good at basically kind of tripling the scare and making sure that you have like, you know, not one thing to think about, but also like maybe two things around it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the weird, the the cult and then also having that background of like this ghost always watching Don and her is so eerie to me. Like I'd be like, I'm out, not going to happen. Yeah, I'm out um, 
do we want, is there a need, do we need to have a conversation about Dr. Rabbitfoot other than the fact that it's like, all right, this is a problematic character. It's yeah. like, it's a yeah. good little cut and paste. You literally do not have to have that character in this. No. It doesn't take away from it. Just get him out of here. I, I do. I did like the mysterious music. Yeah. That's I creepy. That was creepy. Yeah. Um, so like, that might, you, I guess you could figure out another way to get that in. Like it could just not be a way. black. I mean, it is the only black character. Yeah, so, really. Yeah. So maybe you wouldn't want to get rid of him. But like, um, I was trying to think how else you could introduce this this the appearance of music. I mean, I think the 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 way that that music is used is really effective. Mm-hmm. Like the idea, I think it's Peter. The sound gets closer. It's like a marching band. It gets yeah. closer and closer and closer, and he hears it right in front of his house, and then it suddenly just stops. Like that's really creepy. Well, it reminded me of just the carnival. It reminded me of something wicked this way comes. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so absolutely. I, I could have done that. Yeah, you could just get him out of there. Just keep what if it was just the character from the book? I mean, you could have just, yeah, pulled it from there. It's like, hey, look, it's a character from that book. And then you could be like, look at it, it's meta. Um, it's Jonathan Price. Um, I don't think the movie had been made yet, but if it, it's like, hey, it's the, the, the guy from Brazil and, and uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow um, Never Dies. Yeah, well, he's in that. So, he is in it. Um, he is absolutely in he it. He is. All right. Well, honeymoon. Let's, Let's move on to the the town. This is our last round round out the whole characters. Um, there's so many characters here, but I think we could kind of um, yeah you know pull out some. Uh, Anna, did you want to talk about Omar? <laughs> or, this is your this is your time to shine. <laughs> this is your time to shine. <laughs> Omar. Yeah, I, I I you know like I said, I I really admire the way that King, even in sketches of his town drunks, will usually give them some pathos that makes them somewhat you know. Um, uh, you can be empathetic towards them. Mm-hmm. I almost, now that I'm thinking about the sheriff is almost, I now am maybe sworn to the other side of a kind of like just what a thorough dick. Oh, me too. <laughs> like, me like too. He's just a terrible person. And sometimes people are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like he's not yeah. evil. Although it is interesting talking about if King was reading this and being like, huh, this and this and this, the bullet point is the sheriff that disappears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this skips town when things get hard mm-hmm. um i would actually say the movie theater owner would be I love, my yeah. mvp clyde mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. is that his name i, I think, think so, that yeah. he gets a couple of moments that give him character in a way that not many of in a very kingian way actually mm-hmm. like in, in only taking a page or two or at least just one scene to give you an insight into the this person's whole you know story um, is done very efficiently. Just the fact that he loves horror movies, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. Just like, yeah. he seems like a pretty cool guy, you know? Yeah. 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 Like, kind of feel bad for him for free because he wants to watch movies with people. You know? Yeah. That's yeah, I love I love that even as the snow's building and the town is just falling apart, he's just like, yeah, you know, well, we're gonna keep, yeah, keep on showing going. that Night of Living Dead's coming up. And, you know, he even plays Carrie, I think, at one point. But mm-hmm. uh, Jen, what about you? As a movie theater owner guy. <laughs> oh, like really? Jen. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, made me want to go to the movies again. Looks like yeah. we're all on the same page here a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, what, what what movie? What old film would you want to watch at the at the Rialto? Ooh, Carnival of Souls. Oof, yeah, that'd be a creepy one to watch. Especially By yourself. Yeah. 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 yeah so. <laughs> to add to it, you know. Mm. Yeah. yeah. As the snow's piling in, and as you're hearing the jazz, I, I just kept Ooh. imagining like Twin Peaks jazz music playing or something like that. But um, <laughs> Silencio. Yeah. God. Sure. Um, Justin, what about you? You know, I think. My favorite chapters in Salem's Lot are are the ones where we're just kind of going through what's going on throughout the town. Yeah. No dialogue, just totally. you know, what's happening now. It's all falling apart one by one. I don't think Straub is, is as successful as King is in that book. 
but I still liked the Freddie Robinson chapter, mm-hmm. the insurance mm-hmm. salesman. I liked that short chapter of the Dedham sisters seeing their brother coming back, and that creeped the hell out of me. That oh scene. yeah, I have issues. My trigger is if I'm looking out my window and I see something very far away that just keeps walking closer and closer to me, and that literally happens in that section of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that scared the shit out of me. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, King captures all of that a little bit better, but. I, wasn't adverse to these sequences at all. So there you go. Yeah, for me, it's Hardesty. I, I I was so fascinated by by him. I just kept imagining, like, for some reason, I mean, I'm watching Stranger Things just for the Talk and Hawkins show, but um, yeah, just for that. Like, I'm yeah, not a huge super it, fucking fan. Mean, I, don't, I don't have, like, six fucking Funkos on my desk already, <laughs> but... Um, I just kept imagining like a mean David Harbor, <laughs> like, 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 like an a, a, like altered version of ho- like a hopper, but with like a mustache, like in Star Trek when the evil person comes out. And, um, and there's just some things that he does in this that are like so funny. Like, I just love how he like, gets like so frustrated. Like he, he has some intentions that are like, all right, these are well-meaning. And then he just fucks them up all the time. Like when they go to meet, um, you just mentioned Nettie and they're trying to like, you know, figure out what she's saying. And it, in like two minutes, he's like, not even two minutes, like one minute, he's like, no, this is never going to work. Fuck this. And yeah. he walks away. It's just like, you know, it's, it's over. Although, um, isn't he the first one to try? Yeah. I he, mean, he does give it a shot, which the other, the other two are like, this is, yeah, we're never going to get anything. And like, he actually makes a go of it, which I, yeah, I remember thinking like, it's sure it's given it pretty easy. You know? Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm like, done. You know? Yeah. Um, I have a lot of stuff with him in the in our next section. Any other characters that we want to kind of highlight that, uh, that you're good? I think yeah. we've talked a lot about uh, characters here. Let's let, let's I just mentioned some scary moments. Let's go into them by discussing the macabre. Doctor Barrett's home. What? What did you say? Wait, wait, don't hang up, please. Well, I I don't think uh, this book has any shortage of scares. Um, (laughs) That's not the problem. So I I think, I mean, we could probably go over a ton. Maybe we chisel it down to our single scare just to kind of keep the brevity here. Um, And if we repeat them, um, maybe choose a different one. I I don't know. Just so we could have a athleticism here. I'll figure this out. Who wants to... Go, Anna, do you want to go first? I'll go first because I actually think I don't know if anyone else is going to have this one. Okay. But um, it's uh, when Peter and Jim go to uh, Eva, it is Eva Galley's house, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I just, that for one, it was scary for me because I'm like, don't kill, don't kill Peter. Don't kill Peter. You better not kill <laughs> Peter. <laughs> yeah. And it, I'm pretty sure you you would. Like, you're that could happen. Um. And it's funny because, you know, my favorite kind of horror in general is dread, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not a slasher. I, I actually really hate gore. I'm not a huge fan of jump scares. I think they can be really cheap. Um, but I love it when you just are chilled. Yeah. You know, and I was chilled reading that. Like I was, I, you know, it, it, it is believe even without i guess what i'm trying to say is like even before they discover anything even before anything bad happens that sense of dread mm-hmm. like go even just approaching the house deciding to go in the house deciding to go up the stairs and then jim's death is pretty you it's know brutal. pretty yeah, it's, brutal it's, it's brutal, <laughs> it's brutal. Yeah. 
um, and I was scared for Peter, you know, like, I mean, and then I, he does go up and sees his mom, right? That's later. That's later on. Okay, yeah. it's later, right? That's later. Is, but uh, I, it, I remember just feeling that the don't go in the house, you know. From, yeah. From There's a lot of spatial horror, which is mm -hmm. just knowing that there's so much out there or so much within and you can't see it all at once. Um, and that's well, that, really and that scene alone, my other issue is, besides, of course, people slowly walking towards me from outside. When people just have shining yellow eyes, mm. that really freaks me out too. And that's literally that how this is described here. I, yes. Every time I fall asleep, I can't sleep at night, no. But when he reveals to have the golden, he takes off his glasses and he just has those golden eyes. I mean, I would have slam my own head against the wall at that point try to kill myself so you must have been like terrified oh, of thriller oh absolutely i wonder if that was a big tr uh trigger oh, i'm for sure because of the end of that thriller video with the, the yellow eyes but yeah oh, god yeah anyway uh that was very effective for me as well and i did have that I, those are my moments too i was i appreciated yeah. in that there's a very kingian touch in that too which is that he has a ridiculous wig on yeah girls and i i love that little detail when you can have something that's that in any other context would be laughably silly, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But in the context that it's in is actually scary and creepy. Mm -hmm. Like it, 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 part of the horror is like, you've co-opted this thing that I associate with humor and fun and good times. And here it is on you. It's you know? like a weird version of Uncanny Valley. It's like, actually the, I mean, it's the clown thing, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. 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 Jen, what got under uh, your skin? Well, I loved the the story with Gregory and Feeney, but yeah. what oh, really yeah. kicked it up a notch for me, I think, was the dream after it when he's getting home and his house is dark. And I think that was just such a really eerie quality. But then he has this dream and he has to like figure out if he's a if he's dreaming mm. to decide what to do. And I really liked that a lot. Like if this is a dream, I just have to wait it out. And yes, it sucks and it's terrifying. But the right thing to do is just to to keep sleeping and it'll pass but if it's not a dream i'm gonna die because i'm not doing anything and i just liked him hearing it progressively coming up the stairs and trying to listen for the sound to see what level oh, it was yeah, on and trying yeah. to figure out if if i'm dreaming should i get up and run what should i do you know so that well, one that, i think that was a perfect touch on the end of that feeny story you know? and that's such a timeless fear mm -hmm. i feel like i mean even i mean i'll be i'll admit it this book scared the hell out of me and I, mm. I don't get scared easily. And I will say not since hereditary. I don't think like, I, I mean, I was turning on the lights at, at points when I, I wake up in the middle of the night all the time, just because I'm a really bad sleeper. But there are moments where I was waking up in the middle of the night in the last few weeks and I would just start thinking about Fanny and I'd be like, I'm going to turn the lights on. I, 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 can't, <laughs> I just, I can't do it. And that's, and that, that goes into that fear that you're talking about, Jen. It's just so like, mm -hmm. you just think about it. And one of the things that, that, gets to me in this book and it just i think we texted about this or we talked about it is kind of the casual tone of the scares like think about like the moments where you know he just talks what Sirius just talks about seeing fenny sitting on the steps or like when millie's outside and john jaffrey just walks around just the corner casually walks around the corner it's so always presented it's just like oh and jaffrey walked around the corner and yeah said like, warn them and then that was it i was like what what just happened <laughs> so fucking scary yeah. and and because for me and I am a believer in, in all this stuff because I, I'm, look, I'll just say it right now. I've seen stuff <laughs> like I have, like, and I've seen things. I have seen things. Seen and, things. and <laughs> th th it is as casual as that. You just don't think about it. You just let you look up and you, oh, and then it's gone. And that's, you know, you, you 
consider me crazy and think that you don't believe me, but that's, I'm just speaking personally and that's kind of how it is. And it's not this whole like the thing shudder and the thing comes out of the wall and it's not that. It's just something that's a blink in the mess. And yeah. that stuff to me in horror scares me to death. Um, I also love the hardesty and the sheriff station at the end and the way oh, that they, the, the way they tell that stuff and the way it starts out um, where he, you know, he's perusing through the bodies with the, the lights on and he keeps thinking that the hair is pouring out and then he keeps thinking that the bodies are moving in different Shades positions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. With like the Lincoln well, Tunnel. Um, and like, it's not even just the scenarios are creepy, but the writing is so good. Yeah. It's so in good. In those scenes. Like, I've got, yeah, you, that you was really scary. I, I, agree. I agree. Do you have it pulled up? Yeah, I got it pulled up. I yeah, but yeah, go um, for it. Go for it. Though he could, he, though he could not see them moving, he had a wild, panicky sense that all of the bodies in the cells were in motion. Yeah, that if he stayed mm-hmm. back here in the dark a second longer, they would point toward him like the needles of a dozen magnets. Oh God! From an in cell, one he knew was empty, came a dry, rasping, voiceless sound—a chuckle. This empty sound of mirth unfolded in his mind, more a thought than a sound. I mean, that's that's legitimately creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I ask. A question personal, I guess. Oh, yeah, go yeah. for it. Um, is not what's the worst thing you've ever done. It's <laughs> when was the last time you were really scared mm. of something not like a stranger approaching you? <laughs> you know, like w- when's the last time you thought, I don't know what's happening? Uh, maybe Justin, you, you don't have this. No, I, I have some sometimes I have, I have a like, I'll, I'll say, so I live by myself. Yeah. And, um, I, my back door is glass and Ooh. I, <laughs> <laughs> and so I always, I always have this thought when I actually recently got a storm door installed. Um, so at least there'd be more noise. I don't know. Um, but, uh, there have been times I've heard something in my backyard and my, also my bedroom is, you know, the wall of my bedroom goes against the backyard. Right. And I have just been like, what the? was that yeah i'm sure mm-hmm. I, and uh, i actually have a i sleep with a knife next to my bed now oh wow that's i yeah. i used to sleep with a hammer because my, my my brother did that too um mm-hmm. is it mostly do you think that it's like actual person or are you more of like i because i am because i do like i don't know about i've seen things but i just have a willingness to believe there are things that we don't understand or fully know about in yeah. the world yeah and so that's like I said earlier, like sometimes I wonder what I would do, like if it was a vampire. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I know. Like, my, my mind would shut down. Like I actually, the, so one of the things that creeps me out the most, um, and this is, I've come up with this horror story myself and it scares me, is um, sometimes I have to go back and pull weeds. And there is a kind of weed here in the quasi burbs that just, if you pull it, it's like a rope. Mm-hmm. keeps going yeah we have those and i find those incredibly creepy so yeah. that's kind of my fear is like something something organic mm. and endless mm-hmm. like coming towards me so anyway that was def- my, so i'm now turning it over when's the last time you were like scared i okay this is specifically a, I'm, I'm sure i've had instances but something that really stands out was from you know march 2020 to march 2021 honestly during the 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 real major throws of the pandemic, I guess, pre-vaccine. Um, I would still go downtown to work, but I'd be by myself. We have four floors and I'm all by myself for, you know, Oof. five or six hours. It's like the scene in Ghost. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I'd yeah. wander the floors. Nobody would be there for months and months. But every once in a while, somebody mm. would be in their office. And I didn't know. And so one time, maybe the first time I'd seen anybody that I was working with for like four or five months, hadn't seen anybody at all, even on Zoom. Just so used to that, this new way of life. I turned the corner and her, her, her initials were LB. Yeah. Not, not AM. Oh, not AM. Thank God. Not AM. Yeah. And I screamed <laughs> at the top of my lungs. <laughs> and she's like the sweetest person. But I had my headphones in, just walked around the office in the corner, and she was standing right there. And I, ah! Like, I mean, I, I still remember, I still get chills now, but, mm-hmm. and everybody's back to the office now. Oh my God. I will never forget that year. Was ago. she in a bathtub? Screaming. And, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She came and she tried to embrace <laughs> like me. Her, yeah. her patches were going away. Like he's shining. Oh, no, Lord. but that's the last time I was really like, jump That'd out loud, scary. jump and scream out loud was about a year ago. And I think, you know, we were walking home at night. Sometimes you kind of. Is that a shadow or is that somebody behind me? I, I still get that sensation every once in a while. Even though time. it should be noted that Justin is literally the height of the shape. Um, it's true. I feel like in, in the wintertime when I'm in my like giant blue winter jacket, I look like I'm 300 pounds, six foot yeah. five. You know? Sammy's Not a lot of people are going to be provoking me. <laughs> yeah, Sammy's always like, I could always know it's Justin down the road because it looks like someone that's going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> I give off that I'm going to kill you vibe. Yeah, well, it's just... Well, that, that's and I always learned that like to walk in the city, you always kind. Of, I always walk like I'm a, like I'm a, I'm lost my mind. And like determined. And I'm, like I'm always and, kind of like yeah, around, looking around. Absolutely, know? you have to. Um, Jen, what about you? Um, well, I check under my bed every single night before I get in bed. Like mm-hmm. I have a big, and I wonder if now that I know I have OCD, I wonder if it's more like a checking kind of thing. But like. There are times, especially since we moved into this new house, where I get really, really nervous that somebody is in the house somewhere. Um, so sometimes when it kicks up a lot, I'll like go in every closet and every like yeah. and check the garage, especially because like, I don't know if I should say this on the podcast, but like because we're so in and out of the house on the street now, we don't always lock our doors every time there's nobody in our house. Mm-hmm. And so like, I'll be like getting ready for bed and I'll be checking on my kids. And then the Poughkeepsie tapes comes into my head and I'm like, Oh, oh God. Shit. Yeah. Is that guy with the big like mask in my daughter's closet or in my closet? And if I haven't checked or if I can't, like, I don't want to freak her out, but like, Sometimes I'll try to look in her closet and there's this corner where the light just doesn't make it. And so I can't tell if, if there was somebody in there, I couldn't tell. And so that's, so that's like a frequent night thing, you know, for me. So, and we sleep with the TV on because I just, you know, I get freaked out really easily. Oh, I want to double dip really quick, which is (laughs) sometimes my dog will growl at nothing. Oh yeah, yes. oh, that uh-huh. that gets me. Oh my god, I got to tell you a story. When my daughter was two, I went into her bedroom and she was crying, and I was like, "What's wrong?" And she just pointed to the corner of her room and the ceiling, and I was like, "Oh shit!" And I think it was because the light was out, but I was like, "Oh my god, we are all gonna die." Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, there was. I mean, I've seen a lot. I, you know, as I mentioned before, and you can listen to some of those stories on the Souls Midnight. Before. That we have a whole ghost episode on there. We should probably should do another one. We're going to be doing a haunted house one this month, so we'll probably have some more stories there. But recently, nothing's really happened too much in this apartment. But there was one that kind of creeped uh, Sammy and I out the other night, or not the other night, like about a few weeks ago. But I have a she has a board that's in our kitchen that has uh, for all her walks and everything that she does with the dogs, and we have a bunch of magnets on there. One of the magnets is uh, the Snoopy magnet I have, and I remember like it was like right when we were about to go to bed. 
one night. We have, I have this long hallway too. And I'm walking down the hallway to go back to my room and I hear like a something fall. Mm. And I go to the kitchen and it's the magnet. And the, the magnet's broken and it's on the ground and all. And um, it's just weird. It's like, why would that? And I just kept wondering, like, why would that fall? Like, it makes no sense why it would just, it was odd because it's never fallen down since then. And um, mm-hmm. and it just, it creeped me out like to no end. And I've, and I've thought a lot about it uh, over the past few weeks because I just like, eh, let's just not go too deep into that mm-hmm. um, because it's, it is eerie. It's just like, it, it was just that, that still of silence. And then you just felt something fall in the middle of the night, like not a great time. Mm-hmm. If it was the middle of the day. I probably wouldn't think too much of it, but it was like, great. I get to go to bed with that in my mind. But I'm sorry well, for derailing us. I mean, what oh, I, oh, I love this in, stuff. No, no, no. What I was kind of curious about is the dread, how mm-hmm. to recreate that sense of dread. Because yeah. Justin's mm-hmm. story, saying it's interesting that he didn't have a dread part in his story. Justin's mm-hmm. story is it a was jump casual. scare, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the, re- the the rest of us, it's the dread. Mm-hmm. It's the part that's like I just don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I've done the thing where if Exley, that's the dog like it's growling at nothing. I've done the thing like with Jen, like I have to get up and like, and it, mm-hmm. I, in that particular case, I'm not even sure if it's, it's the supernatural so much as like something has happened that I don't know what it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. another yeah. element here and I need to identify what that is. Yeah. 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 And, and, and honestly, I feel like that, that sort of sense of dread is, it fuels so many of the great scares in the mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's when you can capture it. Yeah. yeah. And then there's also that casualness of yeah. Jaffrey just walking around yep. the corner and, and saying something to Millie. It's, it's, there's so many different ways you can be scared, which is, yeah. And, and it's like that, that horror in, in the daylight. Why we're here. Thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, it really yeah. is just a, a, a total greatest hits of like all the types of scares that you could have. Cause as you mentioned earlier, uh, Justin, that, that sort of stoic peripheral distance horror really gets me also. And that's all throughout this, this book. I mean, mm-hmm especially in the, the the Fenny story that Sears tells mm. when there are multiple instances of this happening to multi- other characters. It happens to Peter too, but that's that sequence where Sears is walking back in his own story and he sees Gregory just in the distance in the field, just staring at him. It's just, Oof. I, I, I had to, yeah, I had to put the book down for a little bit after that, but um, I'm sure we had to put the book down at other instances too, because let's just say it's not all love in the air. And we're going to talk about some of the hate in a little section we like to call The Misery. My father imprisoned a friend of his in this room for three years. When he was released, he could never again bear to look at the sun. I wish you had the rights to Soul Asylum's I know we used to use it because that'd be yeah. amazing to use. Well, it. we used to use it, and then I, when I, you know, we realized that we could get in trouble. You thought David Perner was going to come after the Losers Club, and uh, yeah, pretty much. I'm sure there court. are old episodes where we reference the Soul Asylum cue, and now everyone's listening and being like, "What the fuck are they talking about? It's, it's <laughs> just Annie Wilkes." Um, all right, let's do one each, just because uh, for bre- brevity's sake, as I keep sure. saying, one thing we didn't like about this. Uh, I'll kick it off. I wasn't crazy about the the modern Gregory at points. Like I think the shades especially get me. I love the wig is on a mention, but it's when he starts talking, he kind of gets a little too cute. Um, and this is something that doesn't work in the movie either. Uh, no, you know, no spoiler to the movie, but it just, they kind of come off as goofy Gregory and Fenny. And I think they work best when they're these kind of, um, stoic silent figures mm. in a way where the menace just kind of speaks for itself. Granted, 
Gregory has to talk for this to work. Because Finney <laughs> so doesn't. I get it. Yeah. But there's points where he's just with the shades. I'm just like, all right, now he just looks like an asshole. <laughs> it's just like, all right, I'm not too scared of him anymore. But yeah, that was like really the, the biggest misery I had. Where I was like, ah, oh, man, like that thing got me so much. And now I'm kind of like, he kind of looks goofy towards the last. The, it's very, it's very towards the end when he's like kind of hanging out at the, 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 the movie theaters and whatnot. But mm. what about you, Justin? I think we all talked about Dr. Rabbitfoot, so I, oh, well, I, I, won't, yeah. I won't linger there too much longer. But there is one section in particular. I feel like they go to Anna's house one time too many. Yeah. It's when Ricky, Sears, Don, and Peter go there. And I think that they start seeing different things. On, I think one of them sees something on the TV. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of just leave. And they're hanging out again. I feel like, I don't know. I think that would have been one thing I would have taken out. In terms of oh, the totally. sequence, I probably would have taken that excerpt out. Just had the big... Uh, showed out the theater and then back to her her place again. So that's something yeah, that I've taken out. It really was like kind of like a false climax. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that was his sort of meta way of doing it. But I, I do agree. It was kind of like, all right, let's get going. Um Jen. Um, I was really fascinated and bugged by this description of Helen, which is the I think the first girl that Don talks about dating. Oh yeah. Um mm. And there's one line that really kind of got to me, and I'm going to skip around and not read too much of it, but he said, she was stern about literature, frightened of teaching, careless about her appearance, hopeless about men. And then I'm skipping down. Helen was a large girl with big glasses and loose hair, which always seemed on its way from one style to another. It was hair with unfulfilled intentions. She had decided sometime before that what she had to offer the university, the planet, men, was her intelligence. It was the only thing about herself that she trusted. And this just kind of, I think, maybe gets to the heart of the issue I have. Like, like what is her hair was unfulfilled intentions? Like, I puzzled that over in my mind over and over again. And I was like, what does he mean by this, you know? And I, what I think I come back to is that I feel like there is an ideal woman in this novel. And I feel like AM is kind of the opposite of that. And the non AM women are kind of compared to this ideal. And so I don't know. I don't know. I've already talked about that a lot, but just that her hair was unfulfilled intentions. I was like, what does that mean? Yeah, it's a strange, you know? it's a strange. See, I, I actually get that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. Well, no, that's what someone, I, was saying. I was like, oh, someone who hair. struggles with hair. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, my hair is like stick straight. Like, yeah, when it's down like this, it looks fine that way. But like when I mm-hmm. ponytails, you know, the messy buns. Well, and like I those, mean, I like enjoyed... my hair just doesn't want to do any of that. <laughs> well, know? and mine too. And that's part of why, like, I found a cut that works and I'm just never changing it ever. Yeah. But I think my more of my issue was that this was like the description of this character. I, I appreciate you know? that. I feel like who else saw Velma from Scooby Doo? That was like, for some reason, oh, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, now, that's now who I that do. is. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah. I did, I did feel like, you know, the curvy stuff thing and like mm-hmm. i i kind of can identify with the only the intelligence is the only thing she's sure of but there just was no empathy with that mm-hmm. there right. was no sense like he was he felt weird about that like he didn't mm-hmm. like that about her mm-hmm. and this i guess it's is it can my turn I, oh yeah yeah. Go for it, go for okay. it. yeah um i will read one sentence <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if we have the same sentence i was certain she had been nearly as promiscuous as a woman can be oh okay I was just like, that's just, what does that, I guess, like, Jen, like, your sentence, sentence. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Wait, is that that about Stella or about somebody else? (laughs) No, it was about Alma. It was about, and it was about Alma. And at the same time, 
I had made love with dozens of girls who were, quote, better in bed than Alma Mowgli, but none of them, with none of them had I experienced that delicacy of feeling. I mean, time at edging, but like, it, 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 it's this weird thing about the punishment for sex, right? Like, uh-huh. it, yes. it's, and again, I, what is the limit of how promiscuous a woman can be? Like, uh, yeah. What is he thinking? Is all well, there are 24 hours in a day. So. <laughs> you know? And so I, I think, like, Jen, I just generally felt like his portrayal of women was bad. Um, and then they're just, he, there are some clumpy sentences too. Like, is, is, as good as some of the writing is there's yeah there's stuff that i'm 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 not fan a fan of uh what's our next section after this well our next section is a little something that disney likes to sell and a synonym for (laughs) baseball when it comes to talking to billy crystal uh it's the magic are there supernatural powers her scientific husband denies exists i want some kind of explanation but is it obvious? I'm a witch. All right. Well, in the magic, we're going to talk about the passages we did love. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go with you, Anna. Uh, I, I, I almost segued just seamlessly to that. Yeah. Sorry that I, go for it. No, I feel please. like I'm jumping the tracks a lot here. <laughs> no, this is great. Um, I appreciate it. I actually, one of my sentences is about magic. Mm. Um, it's, it's from the, towards the end of the book, Good magic yes. lay only in human effort, but bad magic could come from around any corner. Hmm. I'm not yeah. even sure what that means, but I, I like it. <laughs> I, I, I had that actually in the earlier section for the, the, the hook. And I was like, like, should I throw this out to try to unpack what this is? But yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I couldn't really tell what that was. And I was like, is it just him talking about good and evil? I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, well, I, I think that it's, I, I think we could get almost theological with it. Hmm. which is this idea that you know inherent sin like you have to work against that mm-hmm. like good only comes from purposeful action whereas mm-hmm. if, whereas evil is like everywhere in the world um i have a lot of like one liners another one that i really liked um he's describing the weather and it's foggy and he says a flashlight in that damp grayness simply lost heart oh i love mm-hmm. that which what a wonderful way to describe like heavy fog right mm-hmm. um and then let's see. Oh, um, he's talking about the Florida heat. And he says, it was a sky that would hold the heat, doubling and redoubling it, forcing the weeds and plants into fantastic growth, which of course I already said, like I have a weird thing with plants. Yeah. And weeds. But like that was- have you, read, uh, have you read The Runes? Yeah. Ooh. Okay. I, 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 that one it was bad i bet i bet yeah Yeah. not easy not good (laughs) that movie is even tough is tough too Mm -hmm. um but uh uh do you have any other passages um i think that um i oh i what i just wanted to point out was i think the last king book i talked about which was what was i on for was it dreamcatcher Bag of Bones, I think. Oh, no, I was on for Dreamcatcher, but this is from but from Bag of Bones. I think it's from Bag of Bones where the main character fantasizes about owning an Eames chair. Hmm. Oh, that probably sounds, that sounds like Bag of Bones. And then oh. there is an Eames chair in this. Oh, oh interesting. <laughs> and of course, I noticed because I have an Eames, I have an Eames lounge. <laughs> That's right. So nicely, yeah. So, Strop King. Uh, it, I just thought that was really funny. It's real specific. Yeah. Like, it, that, that is very highly specific. Um, <laughs> 
and it was surprised me that that was actually i think peter's dad who's a yeah. banker mm -hmm. yeah it. yeah and good taste well, he uh, and he survives, I think, right? I think yes. He, yeah. Okay. Well, hey, maybe it was the Eames chair. You know, it was that, right. that was the, that was the elixir. Uh, <laughs> Justin, passage yeah. of love. Man, I've got. I do have a lot here, but I yeah. think somebody who lives in Chicago, as you will understand, Mike, the description of winter here at a certain point really resonated. Especially, I hate to keep harping on it, but when we weren't really able to do a lot during the winter time over the last couple of years, especially during you know the pandemic and living in Chicago where it's 20 degrees, you can't really go inside anywhere. There's a description here about when things are really going to shit in Milburn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it says for the first time in most of their lives, Milburn people saw the weather as malevolent, a hostile mm -hmm. force that would kill them if they let it. Unless you got up on your roof and knocked off the snow, the rafter beams would crack and buckle under its weight. And in 10 minutes, your house would be a frigid, ruined shell, uninhabitable until spring. The wind chill factor sometimes brought the temperature down to 60 below. And if you stayed outside for much longer than it took to run from your car to your house, you could hear the wind chuckling in your inner ear, knowing that it had you where it wanted you. And yes, there's nothing worse than having that sub-zero temperature, especially going up like your, your nostril. And yeah, yeah, that really captured the the danger and like the, the claustrophobia that comes with the harsh winters that we can get here. Sometimes. Oh yeah. Really I well. felt the, I felt the ice in this. You could sure. tell mm -hmm. this to somebody who grew up in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like yeah. you have to live it to really understand. In that. England too, where the, it's a strange weather there where it does feel like it does get in your bones. Like I, when I was, I was there for in February, I think. And I just, you can't get warm. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. what you do. Like it just like, I, I would take hot showers nonstop. And I'd still get out and just be fucking shivering like crazy. And um, and I just couldn't get out. You just couldn't shake it. But um, same way in Chicago. Um, Jen. Uh, well, I think you have one of mine. So I want to, I also had the magic line pulled. And the reason that I think I loved it so much is because like doing some research and just reading and stuff about like witch stuff, like lots of witches spell magic with a CK because that implies more of like a higher level of like intention, like making your surroundings um, fit your intention by your will. And I think it's an Aleister Crowley kind of thing. But then the magic with just a C is like the sleight of hand, kind of like a magician mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I hear in my head, I hear Joe Bluth saying like magic is our tricks or something. Uh, <laughs> does tricks for something money. Whore, yeah. like, <laughs> a sex worker does for money. <laughs> Yeah. And so I really liked that. And I just think that kind of shows like the difference between like ghosts and like stories, like what are, what is the, the grander power and what is just kind of the things that we distract ourselves with. So I liked that. Yeah. I, I really liked, um, I mean, I know you mentioned Justin, like the, the stand like passages where you're seeing like the, ch the town kind of breaking down and everything. And, just as kind of glimpses around the town. I I, I liked them just because they, they had a weird jazz to them. I do think, yeah, King is a little more succinct with it um, because it kind of just felt like he was just jotting down whatever you could think of at that point. Whereas with King, I feel like there there is a, I would say Straub is more jazz where it's a little more unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And King is a little bit more of a delicate dance where you kind of mm -hmm. do feel like you're kind of following the bouncing ball a little bit. Um, to go the opposite of that, I, I think one of my, I mean, I mentioned it before, but like Lewis's section where he's in the house alone, there's this like kind of weird tranquility that's that's oddly peaceful and yet also really ominous at the same time. And I think that's a really hard mood to convey. 
Um, so I'm just going to read you a little quick section of it. Um, Upstairs, a familiar door clicks shut. Great sentence. Um, hello? Lewis moved to the base of the stairs and looked up. Who's there? Sunlight drifted in from a window on the landing. He saw dust motes spinning lazily above the stairs. The house was noiseless. For the first time, its vast size seemed to threat. Lewis cleared his throat. Who's there? And I just, like, the, the, the moods in that are great because I, I think... And there's been a lot of discussion about this, especially um, after like Midsommar. Like daylight horror to me is 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 so much more effective because obviously that's it's it's you know it's when you're not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I always think of that scene in Halloween Five in the beginning with uh, one of the characters where she's being stalked by Michael Myers in the house, like right in the afternoon. And you just don't think about it. You know, it's just like, ah, oh, it's the afternoon. Who cares? And then like that, that sense of dread there where he's just in there and the stillness of the air, like, oof, it just perfect concoction there. Um, mm-hmm. And also just gorgeous. Uh, any other passages we want to highlight before we uh, head into our next section? I, mean, I've I, got, like- I do have a lot here. Like, I don't want to sell it, but um, if, if, if people haven't read this and are listening, first of all, I, we appreciate the loyalty, but what are you doing? <laughs> um, but there really are a lot of things here. I really, I loved the writing. And a lot of this versus just a scenario of it all. I also thought the ending was really moving, I guess. um, Go for it. Is this where we can talk about comparing it to, no, King is coming. Yeah, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. 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 But anyway, what I'm saying is I really love a lot of the rhyme, but we can can move on to the next section for sure. All right, well, let's do that. And let's talk about the King connection. (laughs) Somebody who's got problems and fears and phobias, they go to a psychiatrist and it costs them maybe $150 an hour and they don't even get a full hour. They get 50 minutes. I do what people pay me. All right. Well, let's go at it. Uh, we talked about his influence, uh, you know, Straub's influence here on King earlier. Let's talk about like the actual connections and, um, you know, whether what, what we see with the differences too. Anna, I feel like you've been jonesing to talk about this. So well, take it away. I mean, what I wanted to talk about the way more of the feel, like I don't have any. Oh yeah, like, that's fine. Uh, go for it. Like yeah. room two thirty seven. Oh yeah, no, necessarily. No, no, no. Except for no. the Manitou is a lot like um, Pet Cemetery, I think. Yeah. Um, the, the just the Indian legend, I guess. Oh, totally, totally. Not to generalize too much. Yeah. Uh, what I thought was interesting in terms of the writing is that the good writing didn't remind me of King. It is it's 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 much more kind of uh, removed. Like, I feel like the whole first three-fourths of the book feel more, I, mean, I, I don't mean it as an insult, but it's more formal kind of writing than King. Um, I feel like with, with Stephen King, one of the reasons I love him is it's like sitting down with someone to tell you a story, mm-hmm. right? Just like tell mm-hmm. you a story. Whereas, the this, maybe this is all meta commentary, but the Peter Straub book, for the first you know, three quarters, I feel like is a chowder society story, a much more yeah. di- wearing your dinner jacket, you know, not using contractions. I don't know. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a much more formal tone. Yes. Um, and it feels a little removed, which can be very effective in horror. You know, like I think a lot of original horror, like Lovecraft is mm-hmm. incredibly formal in tone and also terrifying and yeah. racist. Um, it's true. <laughs> uh, and then it's funny. And again, I don't know if this is intentional, but I feel like that the last part where we're getting into the con- confrontation with the evil, which really feels a lot like it, um, also feels more informal. It feels like 
as with the it's, it, again maybe it's intentional because the chowder society is broken down and now yeah. includes young people and they're not dressing up for their meetings exactly that's, that's a really it, that's a great point yeah it, it it flows a little more easily i felt mm -hmm. like the last last quarter of the book was a very quick read for me um yeah like it just it's a different it's a, it's as your as though like so if stephen king is a friend sitting down to tell you a story the tone of this is like your grandfather yes. sitting down yeah. to tell you a story. Which mm -hmm. kind of makes sense. You said because the beginning, we're spending so much time with the Chowder Society, and it, it does change when we spend so much time with Peter and Jen. The, yeah. the tone of it changes. It too. really does. It's, it's right when Don comes into town. I feel like yeah. it's when the switch really starts taking into effect because you mm -hmm. are, you do kind of take a more youthful point of view. God, that's like. And, and then we've already mentioned a bunch of the stuff that sort of feels like King, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, like yeah. The, the Salem slot connections and the stuff that feels like that King has now borrowed. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we already also said this. I think the small town King just does it better. You know, yeah. like I, I don't that's think right. there's any way to, <laughs> you know, tiptoe around that. And the good writing in here is different than King's good writing, it, it is a little more formal. Um, I, I wish I had the words to describe what that formality comes from. I, I think it's word choice, sentence length. Mm -hmm. It's like stuffy almost. Like I, yeah. when I was in yeah. like like uh, modern rhetoric, like they used to tell us about like dusty language, which always got under my skin because I'm a, a hypochondriac. But um, and that and then the kind of the casual, more casual language. And I do feel that Straub leans more towards the dusty when it's just Straub. Like I actually know. happen to have a passage, but it's oh, from a it. Don scene. So oh, I think it's, I don't think I was going to say, I disagree that it, it starts to get more, less formal with Don. I think it gets less formal with Peter. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. No. I mean like once Don gets in the town, I mean like when you spend more time with the other characters, because after that it's, it does kind of open up the, the, the window for more point of views as opposed to the chowder society. But um, this is actually highlighted because it's a little sexist, but it's also the kind of writing that I'm thinking of. Okay. Uh, her going with me so willingly with such unconcern that it resounded with unspoken judgments did contain a whiff of the passive, the ironic tactful passivity of the beautiful, of those whose beauty has sealed them off and sight it like a princess in a tower. Like doesn't, you can't imagine King writing no. that. Right. Exactly. And I think part of that Resounds, is vocabulary. Yeah. 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 But also I think that King is just an extremely empathetic writer, yeah. you know? And that's partly why I think I love him so much, but there is, I feel like a distance between yes, all exactly. of the characters here, yeah. which is, yeah, what you're saying. And that's like the age difference that you would have if your grandfather was sitting down telling you a story, you know? Yeah, there. I will say the similarities for me that I saw were the the foreshadowing, I think is very similar in the way that they kind of kind of forecast some of the scares. Uh, maybe not so blunt that King gets into, you know, like we always make the joke about the Pet Cemetery one about how we find out about the fate of Cage, like, <laughs> like 200, I think like a hundred pages beforehand, but mm -hmm. he does a lot of similar foreshadowing here um, where you kind of see a lot of the fates. I mean, he even literally li lists some of the deaths that are going to be happening, um, you know, down the road. But I think one of the things that really struck me as a difference is, is, is kind of what you're talking about, Anna, about the, 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 the Salem's lot, small town building. I think when I think about what that works well for me with King is that King's so good at like pulling on the small details that matter so much. Mm -hmm. Like when you think about even just the names of stores or, you know, like the name of uh, something that, um, you know, maybe the paper or the publication that they're doing or the, the, the little 
thing that they're maybe having to deal with that morning or something like that. It's just those little quirks that add so much nuance in the long run that do make you feel like you're in that town. And I mean, Strav does a good job painting a town here, but it's, it's, it's different. It's not, I, mm-hmm. I, it's almost like I'm, I see like a, in piecemeal as opposed to like when I am in Salem's lot, I almost feel like I can, I know exactly what the fuck street I'm supposed to go on, mm-hmm. even especially with dairy too. Um, so that's where I kind of saw the differences in that, that, that section. But um, Jenna, mm-hmm. what, what other things did you see that were the Kenyan? Well, I have, these are less thematic, but there is a character that is many characters identified by the same initials, which is very <laughs> RF, Randall mm-hmm. Flag. Yeah, that's true. Um, mm. And then mm. there's the club, which I feel like is an obvious comparison in the yes. breathing method. And then the man, I think it's the man who would not shake hands. Um, and then, but this, there were two that bugged me and I had to look them up because I kept reading Milbird and I was like, that name rings a bell from King. And I was thinking that it was the town slash cemetery that the teen greasers are from. And sometimes they come back and I looked it up and it's Milford, but that's still it's close. Also, kind it's of. Close. Yeah. And then there's, you the, can always tell a Milford man. That's, true. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Uh, um, I got to rewatch. What that about Mumford? Um, Mumford. No, no, no. Directed Mumford. by the director of Dreamcatcher, Lawrence Kasdan. Oh, that's ah, true. Yeah. See, that? it's all kingy. Um, and then there were the De- Dedham sisters, which I was like, is that the name? And I had to look it up. It's the Dedrick twins in mm. um, uh, Green Mile. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. Justin, I feel like you pulled probably a bunch. I did. You mentioned that Carrie is literally mentioned in the book, the movie Carrie. Mm-hmm. And I thought Jim Hardy reminded me of Billy Nolan from Carrie. Mm-hmm. in a lot of ways yeah i've got notes here that were interesting that really pertain to the movie ghost story because stella quotes a movie line in this book and attributes it to something that melvin douglas says to joan crawford mm-hmm. in the movie that they run together melvin douglas plays jaffrey in ghost yeah. story the movie the best one though was near the end of the book don's watching us a bunch of movies to pass the time including one with a graceful winning fred astaire and a chowder society tuxedo it's crazy. And for the stair plays Ricky in the film mm-hmm. adaptation a couple years later. Little things like that that stuck mm-hmm. out. We talked about a lot of Salem's And you don't comps. believe in the supernatural. I know. <laughs> well, it, here's a weird connection. I will say this is really bizarre. I woke up one morning and I went on Letterbox, as I always do, and a friend of mine, a friend of ours, Mike Vanderbilt from the Halloween's podcast, logged that he watched one of Anne Bancroft's only directed movies. I think it's a Dom DeLuise movie. And then... 20 minutes later, when I was on the way to work, I read that one part in Ghost Story where I think Stella's compared to Anne Bancroft. And I almost yeah. dropped my phone. Like that like, creeped me out. You want to talk about being scared? It's like shrimp that's, or plate of shrimp. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. But that really. Someone thought, someone said it. You're thinking about it. Yeah. So it was a little weird coincidence that that was. But yeah, there you go. Um, those are the big ones, I think. There, I mean, there's some really interesting. Um, just little things that are kind of room 237 not even room 237 but just similarities like you know there's a mention of a deadfall and on mm-hmm. page 3013 um 1958 factors heavily in one of the origins of like uh of animobiles uh i guess events or something like that in 1958 is mm-hmm. obviously the date in, in dairy uh with it um the, there's an e like one of the char- one of the villains goes e, which is e- a lot like uh we, we won't say it yeah. We won't say it yet, but there's yeah. a character that's coming up that we're going to be talking about. Um, on page 479, there's a, they, they, in one of the, the Don's illusions, uh, there's a, a door in the sand, drawing of the three. Um, and then I kind of felt like Don has the same um, kind of curse that 
that Mike Hanlon is left with. And like he has to be like mm. kind of take on this, one, this yeah. role. Yeah. Um, has to be the one that gets screwed over by the adaptations. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um <laughs> I've been watching it recently. So. Yeah. It's, just, it's yeah. a tradition, it's, Jim. God. It is. <laughs> I do have something there on, on it though. I forgot to mention this. Um, there's a description of the creatures, and it says they were dead creatures that lived like vampires on blood, but they were not vampires, nor were they werewolves. They could just make you think they were. Yeah, mm. there's a lot of instances Let's, of this that definitely remind me of it years later. Mm-hmm. I mean, they literally reference the Manitou as it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like in right. the story. There like, you go. It doesn't get any more blunt than that. Um, I think that's all I got. I, I think I, I'm sure there are some other things. I think at one point they said some one of the girls was 19. I'm not going <gasps> to go. That's a little too far. But are we good? We're, We're good? good. All right. Good. Let's uh, let's let's do a final dance. The final waltz. All right, final thoughts. Uh, Same ranking, I think. I think it's the Pennywise Clown Noses, so Mm -hmm. one to five. Um, Jen, let's kick it off with you. Um, I am kind of at war with myself over this because there's a lot that I really liked and a lot that really bugged me. Um, most of which I've talked about, like I did really enjoy the writing. I was very scared. I think, um, I love the concept of stories. Like I had my middle school French teacher every Halloween would just skip class and she would just read us a story and she read us the birds and a rose for Emily. So like I have this like really fond memories for these old kind of scary stories. Like more thematic scary stories than like jump scares or like I don't know so I that was kind of the vibe I was getting like I would go to the Chowder Society I think that would be fun um and listen to their stories but I do have an issue with the female characters and I also had an issue with the female characters in Black House which um I wonder if there is a connection there too um so I don't know I think I'm gonna give it three and a half because the writing I did really enjoy um, I kind of was soothed by the distance between the character, myself and the characters, you know, like sometimes King's writing feels so emotional to me and I didn't ever quite get that with this, but I did get the, the emotional scariness and I did think it was effectively scary. So three and a half. Nice. Nice. Anna. Three and a half sounds exactly right to me. I would suggest that people read this. It's definitely worth reading. Mm -hmm. But I think what's holding me back from uh, more stars is I don't think I'll ever reread this. Like, whereas like there are King books that I've read three and four and five times, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it's funny because on some level, I think like a literature professor might say that Schraub is the better writer, you know? Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. But I didn't feel... But I, it doesn't feel like the, I'm just not as drawn to it. Maybe it's that, that remove, that intentional remove. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's going to be interesting uh, to continue to be a part of this podcast and see, I do think they obviously like really resonate with each other. Mm-hmm. Like that's fascinating to me um, and clearly influence each other. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I like, I, I may have to reread the straw. King books to see how I feel about them now. 
I hear the talisman's a rough one because <laughs> it's long. Yeah, that's the one that I, like, that's the one that is I don't yeah. I, I've read and I was like really the payoff in that is just like yeah shit. yeah I've never <laughs> met anyone. <laughs> Black House a lot terrible payoff. I don't know yeah. anyone who's ever been like you have to read the talisman. I think that was the first one I had I had to skip for the podcast, but mm. um, yeah, anyway. it's just long. You know, yeah, it's, it's just too long. Yeah. yeah, Justin, I mean, it's hard to make the King bibliography comp to Pierce Straub. I think it's like sixty-five to three. <laughs> you know, so, but I, I would read this again before I would read most King over the last 20 years, to be perfectly frank with you. Well, uh, you make that, <laughs> that's your draw. Know, but that's a lot of books. That's, there's still a lot of books. Yeah. Um, I think there's a fine line between con- confusing storytelling and intriguing storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think by the end, once the confusion was kind of sorted out, it became more intriguing to me as it went along. I think there's a fine line between something that's emblematic of a time and place versus problematic of a time and place. And for me, it landed more on the emblematic side. I also think that this book is quite scary. And for a story called Ghost Story, it delivers on that front, you know, full born. Uh, The slow burn of it all really made me nervous to begin with. But once I figured things out, yeah, like you said, Mike, I, I burned through the last couple hundred pages personally. I did. Yeah. I think it's a very good one. This is actually something I would, like I said, I would definitely reread again in the future. This isn't like I'm going to be like, hey, you got to read Cell. I'm like, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know about this. I would read this before I would read Cell again. I agree. Yeah. I, I don't think like, it doesn't reach. do the last 20 years of King, like, come, come on. I, yeah. <laughs> you know what? 30 years. 30 years of King. Huh. Honestly, oh, interesting. Okay. I, there this has not reached the peak of King, in my opinion, at all. There, there's, a, you know, there's about maybe 10 books I probably like by King more than this one. But I still like this one quite a lot. I have to give it uh, four bright, bright, yellow-eyed Gregory <laughs> Bates eyes out of five. I thought it was <laughs> very good weird. and uh, highly it's recommended. A- it's a scary horror story, for sure. Uh, all right. Um, ghost story. Where to begin? Um, <laughs> I, I think like King said, it shouldn't work. It should be overt and acute, but it's not. I, I think this thing holds together in such a fucking impressive way and not by glue or rubber band or staples either. I mean, this is spackled and soldered and it's just, just soldered slice of fiction is what I'd say. I, it, it's kind of crazy how Straub juggles it all. It, it's almost like he has a, a mathematical mind. And even then, I don't feel like he allows the formula to show itself. Um, mm-hmm. I think he kind of keeps it really hidden behind all the smokes and mirrors. I, I think this novel moves. I think this novel breathes. I think this novel shakes. It rattles, rolls. I, I think this. The, the, while the, the cynic in me definitely stopped around, uh, you know, every once in a while, and was like, "How the hell is he going to pull this off?" But I never asked the more telling question, which is, "Where is he going with this?" Um, mm. I was I behind every seg, behind every swerve, and behind every break. I just found myself really keyed in. I love the point of views. I think it captures age with ease. At times it's dusty, other times it's useful, youthful. Um, but I think it really gels between those shifts. I don't think it oscillates, which is what it could have been easily. Don Wanderley's just a great conduit into it all. Uh, I love the horror. I don't think Straub ever pulls his punches. In fact, I think he just saws right through the jugular, which I can't say the same thing with King sometimes. Um, I, I think this book is fucking mean and I really, I just, I think I'm at an age right now where I'm craving mean horror again. Um, 
and it scares me. I mean, like what Justin said, this book fucking scared me. And I haven't said the same thing with, I mean, there's definitely King books in, in recent years that have, have that still kind of creeped me out and all, but this legitimately scared me. Um, and I just can't say the same thing with a lot of those books, uh, with a lot of any books really. And at the same time, I loved being in this world. Like I, I really like this chilly New England small town. I mean, it's why I, I mean, granted the changing takes place in the West coast, but it's has that same vibe to it where it's like this, it's just this, my fucking favorite era. I love the late seventies. I love the early eighties and I love the, the ricketiness of it all. And so I really enjoyed being in this world. And, and what's, I think more importantly is that I, I, I think that Straub sticks the landing, you know, I, I think it's a yeah. chaotic end a little bit, mm -hmm. but I think you need a little chaos to find the right clearing sometimes. And I think he does. And, um, and, and what I really do think is neat is it kind of has this like Hemingway ending, not really Hemingway, but it has an ending that's like every horror story that you want where it continues, you know, it to be continued. Like, I don't really like finality in horror. I like when it's the monster is still out there in a way. And this story certainly continues. Um, so I don't know, like I said earlier, kid A of horror fiction, that's my pull quote. So I'm going to give it 4.5 Pennywise clown noses. Anyway, I think it's time to put another log in the fire. And I think it's time to send all of us home. But before you grab your coats, let's tell everyone where you're going. Anna, do you have anything to plug right now? Uh, sure. If you are interested in genre fiction, and if you're listening to this, I bet you are, you might like my podcast, Space the Nation, um, which is a science fiction podcast. Um, we just did Doctor Strange. Oh. Um, we have Station Eleven coming up as well as Gattaca. Oh, I love uh, Gattaca. And then, yeah, I do too. Uh, and then I also write a sobriety column for New York Magazine. Nice, nice. And uh, we'll we'll put link. Do you have a like an author page on? on I on? do. Okay. Um, it's for the cut section of okay. uh, New York Magazine. Um, you can probably find it pretty quick. Oh, and you can follow me on all the socials <laughs> um, at at Anna Marie Cox, and that's Anna with one A A N A M A R E C O X. Sweet, sweet. Jen, what can our listeners find over at Psychoanalysis? Um, well, we are in the middle of talking about moms this month and our first episode, it was a two-parter on Carrie. And then our next one, which is about to drop is on Goodnight Mommy. And then we had a Comfort Heart episode on Angel Heart, which speaking of yellow eyes, there are some yellow eyes in that movie. There's mm. also a super hot Robert De Niro playing the devil. Mm. Um, and then we're recording tonight on Dolls, which is my new favorite Goosebumps. <sighs> that movie is wild. I enjoyed that movie quite <laughs> that a bit. That is such a wild I did movie. Too. It's so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what's going on. We're going a little heavier for the next month. Um, we haven't announced our topic yet, but just, you know, it's we've been having some fun and we're about to start talking about some serious stuff. So well, hey, it's the summer, so uh it's true. <laughs> Nothing says <laughs> summer <know>. like serious stuff. <laughs> right, like depressing. <laughs> it's definitely the literary, you know, that's the, the it's the theme of the, the season. Actually, uh, we have like we have hot sci-fi summer. Yeah. Oh, our fine. tradition in so july if you need to take the edge off <laughs> where yeah. we do nothing but like big dumb movies there you go. Uh -huh. it's great it's we did that with phobias last year because we were yeah. like let's talk about being afraid of sharks you know oh yeah. that's good that's good justin uh, well you know you're... you'll see me creeping around on the old like twitter i i, I do ding dong ditch now on twitter where i'll just yeah. sign in really quickly <laughs> and leave a really truthful in many ways tweet and i'll just sign off immediately like, i don't want to peruse i don't want to know anything else that's going on on twitter right now it's just a nightmare. Be real profound for a second just and i hope people like here. it i'm out of here for another couple right. days hope everybody has a good time uh but over on the halloweenies podcast that mike and i are on uh, together there uh we've got it's evil dead year and so yeah. our army of darkness episodes just came out 
And we've got some more Evil Dead adjacent coverage uh, coming out next month. We haven't really ironed out what we're going to do. No, we might yeah. do a special might movie. Might do Doctor Strange. We could, we might, yeah. We we, really in in the Multiverse of Madness, to be clear. We've got to be clear. Gravy. But that would also probably involve me having to see that movie again, which would be <laughs> a trying situation for me personally. <laughs> As somebody who loves Sam Raimi, that's a whole other podcast. But uh, And obviously in our Patreon, patreon.com backslash Pod. We've got a lot of movie coverage on movies that are not necessarily part of franchises. We've got bonus episodes, commentaries on there as well. So please be sure to check that out if you haven't already. So there you go. I'm on Instagram what's, too. It's it's a much you, more pleasant experience for me. What's mm-hmm. your Instagram handle? I have no idea. Is it just you have no idea? No, I don't that? even know. I don't, I, yeah. know. I don't even know. I always have to tag and I'm like, who the fuck is this handle at this point? It's uh, Jeff- okay. I got it. It is. It's just just it's just Gerbo. Just okay. <laughs> yeah. See, that's a little harder. So, yeah, all right. Yeah. Jen, by the way, what were, your, what were your handles? It's Jim Ferratu with two ends on all, all right. of it, all the stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, I would plug my Twitter, but I'm I'm uh, I'm not doing it anymore. So I'm uh, I'm just leaving it there. Uh, but you can follow <laughs> us at, at Losers Club Pod um, and at Halloweenies Pod. We, you know, for all our updates. But uh, the losers, we're taking a much needed summer break. But the feed's going to be alive. Rest assured. Uh, we did a test on April Fool's Day by dropping in the mouth of madness and basically saying it was Stephen King's in the mouth of madness. So, you know, <laughs> but either way, that was our great episode on that John Carpenter classic and it did well. So we thought, well, we have a bunch of these great episodes in the, in the back catalog and that are locked away in Patreon. And it seems right now, June, it's a good blockbuster month. Why don't we just have a, why don't we just call it blockbuster month on uh, the losers club. So what we're going to do is. We're going to drop an episode where we talk about the blockbusters in Stephen King's world, like all his adaptations and, you know, where they've managed to kill uh, the box office and whatnot, or actually flop on the box office. And then we're going to head to Isla Nublar for Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park, which is going to be time to the new one. I don't remember where it's called. It's Jurassic World uh, Dominion, I think. It's, yeah, yeah. I think so. And then we're going to get with lost. With the bad Chris. With the, the bad Chris. Chris. Uh, I hate him so much. Um, yeah. Wish he gets eaten by uh, whatever the gigantic moosor well, thing in the, that they in have. the pre-credits, he gets torn apart. I'd be, it'd be, <laughs> it's just the original be, trio, the rest of the movie. I'd be thrilled. No, it's, thrilled. he's going to get genetically modified into a dinosaur, and oh, he's going to be the new thing. You, you, like, <laughs> you joke, but I would not put it past the, the plot devices of the last two Jurassic World movies. Oh, That's God. true. Well, we're also going to get lost in the Burkittsville woods as part of the Blair Witch mm-hmm. Project, uh, which is a great episode. And then finally, we're going to go back in the ice and cold like we were here for Ghost Story. And we're going to celebrate 40 years of John Carpenter's The Thing. So mm-hmm. uh, all of these episodes, they uh, although they are you know outside of the world of Stephen King, rest assured, we talk about Stephen King in every one of these episodes and uh, try to find the King in there. So they're fun episodes. They're a lot, they're, they're going to be a good time for us in, in June. And then obviously we'll be going into everything's eventual uh, towards the end of June and July. Eventually. Uh, eventually. Yeah. Everything's eventual. But, but if you want new episodes, we'll, we'll have a few next month in our Patreon. Um, so, you know, Subscribe to it, www.patreon.com slash the Barons, five, ten dollars. You know, take your pick. Until then, enjoy Blockbuster Month. Be sure to swat away those pesky wasps. And we'll be seeing you over long days. And pleasant night.
This is the end of our show. For now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. 